When there's no more room in hell, the dead will start a podcast. You eyeballing me, boy? Everybody and welcome to No More Room in Hell number 46. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, horror lovers. Now, I usually have a more specialized greeting, but based on our two movies this week, I have no idea what the common theme is. So I'm going to let Derek, since they're Derek's picks, I'm going to let him talk about why he picked them and what the themes are. But yeah. I'm just going to go with the generic intro this week. Anyway, how the fuck are you, Mike? I'm doing pretty well. (laughs) Doing well. Just getting through a stretch of like six days in a row of 100 degrees of weather. I know. I loved it. The AC has been working OT. Oh, man. It was 101 today, and I went for a walk this morning in 101. Oh, God. It was amazing. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Well, I'm so you know for for those who don't know I'm one of those uh, weirdos who actually likes the heat and I'm a fat guy too and trust me fat guys don't like to sweat but I love the heat I just absolutely adore oh. it I lived in Whoa. Phoenix for two years 110 15 degree weather every single day year round and I fucking loved every minute of it and I may go back uh, the plan there still potentially might be a plan for me to go back to Phoenix but for now LA is home and I wish it was hotter. <laughs> the last time I was in Arizona, I think yeah. I was around the Phoenix area in December, and it was like 92. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Christmas Christmas in the desert. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's funny you brought up walking because I usually take like uh, two to three walks a week before work, and um, usually – no matter how hot it's going to be during the day, it'll still at least you'll have like that breeze in the morning. But once it gets to like a hundred degrees or higher, even when you, even when I go to take my walks at like six in the morning, it's not, it's not hot, but it has that kind of difference in the weather where you're like, yeah, there's no morning chill or anything. So it's going to be a hot as hell day. But, uh, I I had to skip my walks like this past week and a half because the other week I stubbed my middle toe so bad I thought I broke my toe, but I think it was just like severe bruising and stuff. So, Aww. just your talk your talk of your talk of taking a walk made me remember that like yeah I haven't been going on my walks this week because of that shit. You lazy. Still, it's still it's still feel I'm gonna attempt my alarm set for tomorrow before I work to at least attempt to try. It's uh, it, it's weird because when I'm barefoot it's okay, but like once you start putting on socks and shoes where like you know everything tightens up, that's like when you can feel I can feel you. I meant me. That's when I can feel it more. So we'll see. It's definitely the pain is gone away a lot in the past week so hopefully when i wake up tomorrow i'll be good but uh enough of my medical issues uh also joining us as always it's derek what's up derek how are you 
Never tell those kind of stories when before my introduction again. Wait till after, okay, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Giving them uh, what Vietnam flashbacks or something? Stuff yeah, <laughs> I got my foot flashbacks. I got my foot ran over by a reach truck, so I don't want to hear any. Wow! Ow! Fifteen stitches. Lost two toenails. Ouch! Wow! One toe looks right. like a mushroom. I'm trying not to laugh. Sorry. <laughs> the closest I've come to that is when I had a paper out. My dad used to drive, and one time, uh, like the rear driver's side tire got like halfway onto my foot, and then he like um, switched uh, direction. And but even just like the halfway up on the foot, it, it hurt like hell. Like that was not pleasant, and I'm surprised it didn't break my foot, but it did not. Um. So yeah, yeah, we're back. <laughs> we're back <laughs> after what a couple, I think a couple postponements. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I had so one, I'm like, had one. You had one. It's all. <laughs> I think we all had one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking over like my familiar show notes. Like, yeah, some of the stuff isn't even topic worthy anymore. So once we get to the different segments of the show, we'll we'll kind of figure it out. But. Uh, Something that I guess is a timeless aspect of the show is the what we've been watching because there's really no timestamp on that as long as we remember enough to uh, bring it up. So we'll get into that usual start of the show now, I guess, and uh, kick it to Venom for the first round of what we watch. So what do you got for us, Venom? All right. Well, my first movie for the episode of what we've been watching is going to be Mr. Venom's pick of the month. I absolutely love this film. Now, this is actually a documentary, and I am a huge fan of documentaries, and I am also a huge fan of found footage. Now, I know found footage is a very polarizing subgenre of horror. It seems like you either love it or you hate it. Very few people are lukewarm on it. I myself absolutely adore the subgenre. I think the level of immersion that you get from found footage is second to none. So, of course, the film that I'm talking about this week is The Found Footage Phenomenon. This uh, dropped on Shutter late last year, I believe. I am a little late to the party on this one as um, generally at the end of every year, that's when I'm trying to get as many new horror watches in. So I tend not to um, spend too much time with documentaries and, you know, true stories, things like that. So, you know, just to get to my fictional horror. So this is one that I just discovered recently. And yeah, folks, I can say that I really, really like this move, this uh, documentary. If you are not a fan of found footage, there is no reason for you to watch this documentary. So please don't watch it and say that it's garbage just because you don't like the subgenre. Um, it, it, it is a very much above average documentary. It's not a be all end all. It's not, if you're as hardcore a found footage fan as I am, you're not really going to learn a whole lot, you know, with all the research and everything else that I do with the films that I love, not really a whole lot. I'm going to learn from a, you know, hour and 40 minute documentary that was, you know, on a still fairly new subgenre of horror. So, um, but I will say that if you're a layman, if you're someone who's just discovering found footage, this is a great history lesson going all the way back to 1960 with stuff like Peeping Tom and um, and, of course, you know, the greats of Hannibal, uh, Can <laughs> Hannibal, Cannibal Holocaust and uh, Blair Witch Project. And, you know, the list goes on and on. So, like I said, if you're a fan of the subgenre, I highly recommend the found footage phenomenon. If you are not 
a fan of found footage, there's like I said, there's just no reason to watch this. So uh, check it out if you're a fan. I myself loved it, and I do recommend this to fans. Um, any either of you guys check this out yet? I have not. I did, and you know, to your point that it's 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 not the end all be all as it, as in like going in depth on like every single movie they feature. I actually think it make made a pretty good candidate for me watching it kind of while I was working because it's like they give just enough information and background on the genre and different aspects of it and really different pivot points in it. You know, when when it's like, okay, for a certain while, this movie might have been the standard bearer for found footage where a decade later, this one kind of re, you know, redefined what you could do with it. Um, so it's like I could kind of work while I was listening to it. A lot of familiar movies, you know, I, I think you're correct in saying found footage, uh, you know, other than like the vast amount of like micro budget found footage movies that show up on all sorts of VOD services that no one has time to watch. I would say the majority um, on here are featured in this documentary. You don't really have to necessarily be like a deep, deep diver into the genre. So I would say even if you're not like the biggest found footage fan, if you just are down to hear just horror in general talked about and, you know, some movies gone over, I would still say it's worth your time. Now, granted, I, I agree with Venom. You're probably not going to enjoy it as much as you would like a documentary on a different genre or just horror in general. But I still think there is value um, in this one. But yeah, I agree. I, I had a lot of fun with it. And it, it was pretty well done. Like Shudder, I, I got to say, I, I wish they had more original content. But between like stuff like this and Curse Films, I think what they are able to produce, they usually do a pretty good job. Absolutely. All right, cool. Uh, well, we'll move on over to. Are right, were you were you done talking about a venom? Yes, sir. Okay, then we'll move right over to Derek. So, what do you got first up? Uh, yeah, I I went to the movies and I saw. Uh, I actually was supposed to be on Fresh Cuts for this, but I don't know what the fuck happened. Maybe I was just fucking tired or drunk i forget but uh i saw the movie men God. that i wanted to talk about it was on my mind Ooh. for the longest time you know and uh yeah written, written by alex garland who did like ex machina and annihilation this is his third feature uh he wrote 28 days later as well uh yeah uh men what a <laughs> fucking weird movie man. Uh, I really like uh, the main dude who plays all the men in it <laughs> it's fucking weird especially the little version of him you know there's some weird things it, it has it's a very slow burn movie it, it has something I like though it, it kind of reminded me kind of uh, Ben Wheatley's In the Earth with some of the atmosphere of the forest scenes what and then when she's just yeah a little, yeah, it's, it's got like a little folk horror in it, especially with like some of the symbolism. And when he she walks in the church, it's like the church from Rawhead Rex just has happened to be in this town all of a sudden. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like the metaphors that the movie brings. It's a very slow burn, though. Uh, you know, even like near the end, I was kind of like leaning into myself, where it it was very, you know. 
maybe it was just I had to be in the mood to watch this, and the theater might have not been the best bet for it. And that explanation, especially with some comfy seats, because <laughs> I did get like the recliner, and I was like, I think I did kind of like shut my eyes for like three seconds in the movie, but it's not the movie's fault. It's just the way that the story's told, and man, that fucking ending so weird. <laughs> But I liked it. I know you guys saw it. Oh, yeah, we saw it. We reviewed it. Um, pretty sure... Uh, well, Mike and I at least gave it positive reviews. I know Don wasn't real happy with, you know, the toxic masculinity undertone of the entire thing. And also, it wasn't really nearly as action-packed as he would have liked. He did like... It, it seems like the consensus is everybody seems to like that final scene. It's just crazy enough and body horror enough that it's, you know, it's shocking and entertaining all at once. Um, I, I absolutely love the film. Yeah, I thought this was a great metaphor. I thought that the way that they introduce all the different um, elements of, uh, you know, the, the toxic masculinity thing, like all the different types, how each guy in the town represented a different type of toxic masculinity. I thought that was really well done. And even like the order of the, let's just say the births at the end, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but let's just say the births at the end of the movie, even the order of the births have a lot to say about what the main character is going through, you know, both with their husband and the men of this town. So I love the movie. It's it's, it's a beautiful allegory. Um, I love the message. Yeah, I, I just overall, I really, really enjoyed it. One of my favorites of the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh-huh. I, I want I want to say that while while I assume Don wasn't championing the movie, I would I want to say I remember him being like somewhat fair because I after I saw yes. even going into even going into it, I was like this probably isn't going to be a Don movie, but it, it, I could be surprised coming out of it. I was like, okay, definitely I don't think it's a Don movie, but I could be surprised. Mm-hmm. And then during the episode, I was like. Uh, I, I expected him or I, I assumed he would dislike it a lot more, but it, he seemed pretty like even or neutral on it. Probably not like a top movie for him, but he wasn't like overly harsh about uh, it. It was, it more came off as just not his thing. Right. But, I, I, I kind of remember him being a little bit more negative on it. Like I remember him, I remember him specifically saying that once he figured out what was happening, that he kind of checked out. Like, you know, once once he realized what the messaging of the movie was, that he just kind of lost interest or whatever, and that it just became kind of browbeating. Because, you know, if you if you figure out early enough in the film what the movie is about, then the next hour of, a plus of the film could seem pandering, you know, heavy handed, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, I thought it was incredibly well done. It's now my favorite Alex Garland movie. Um. Yeah, I I just love. Yeah, that. that's yeah, because like it's weird because I didn't even think the movie was trying to be sly or sleuthy about like what it was trying to be about oh. anyway. I mean, I thought it was pretty clear from. Uh, Hell, even if you saw a trailer early on, you know? <laughs> even even if you just saw a trailer, I mean. Uh, you're gonna know what the movie is about going in. I mean, you can't you can't misconstrue that trailer. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Even. I mean. Even just the setup of the story, like why she's going out to the farmhouse or whatever you would call it, and uh, just getting away from it all, it seemed like. 
Um, it was going you know, to uh, lead that way, but I do agree. Like the the performance by the lead actor playing all the parts, um, other other than the superimposed face on the kid that looked a little goofy. <laughs> yeah, that was like some Captain America shit right there. That was some Uncanny <laughs> Valley shit right there. Yeah, yeah. but you know, I, I I did like it. I I, I liked how they depicted how um, how interactions go and kind of like the passive aggressive nature sometimes it's not it's not necessarily just the person that you know wants to commit a crime a literal crime against you there's other there's other ways that uh, these interactions go down that aren't uh, very friendly to women but you know without like re the whole movie i'll just say yeah i i liked it a lot and i would not be surprised if it ends up on my top 10 now i just want to see a crossover where men versus lamb Versus Lamb? Yeah, the movie Lamb. Oh wow, that's interesting. <laughs> the dad the dad shows up. Holy <laughs> shit. That's a weird one. <laughs> oh man. Alright, I guess I'm up. So uh the first one I saw this was like a just a really random watch. I was uh working and I was like, I need something to kinda check out and um What'll it be? So everyone's seen the movie Knock Knock, the Eli Roth one, right? I assume. No, <laughs> no, no I never seen it. No, I, Wait, I, you, I, I, you guys I have no not seen the. Oh, nope, okay. Don't care. <laughs> well, the movie that I watched was not Knock Knock. <laughs> it was the movie that Knock Knock basically took all inspiration. I mean, it's basically like a remake of. Mm-hmm if we want to be honest and it's called death game um and why is lock. colleen camp hot back then <laughs> like if you guys know who colleen camp is um but uh, yeah so I-, I was gonna talk about this in relation to knock knock but without having seen knock knock it's gonna not make a uh, much sense but basically the 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 crux of it is uh you have like uh, i think the guy's living in San Francisco, kind of like upper class or at least like upper middle class wealthy and two hot young girls show up at his door or after his wife takes the kids like on some either to visit other family or vacation or something. And basically in a roundabout way, seduce him um, after he initially tries to resist. And then after that, there's kind of like an aftermath to it and things go down like a more, kind of like thriller-esque path and you're trying to figure out the motivation of why these girls are doing it his response is all that blah 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 then you get to the finale and whatnot but um i will say i mean i liked it i thought it was i thought it was better than knock knock i thought there was more nuance to it It was a little more playful of a movie i will say and that could just be the era um that it was made in in the 70s um What's his name? The name, the guy who, the main, I can't remember his name, but he is recognizable. He, he played the sheriff in Misery, right? Same guy. No, it's a different um, actor. It's not him. No. It it looks like him. Okay. Everybody well. looks like that guy to Mike now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess it's not him. But uh, anyways, yeah. So, have either of you guys seen Death Game though? Derek, you have to have seen Death Game. Is this an Australian? Yeah, like, no, it's American. It's oh, that sad. I have. Yeah, I've seen it. It's pretty good. Seymour, Seymour Cassell actually hates that movie because they actually 
overdubbed his voice with a different actor. It's actually not even him speaking in the movie. It's weird. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, but I... Why the hell they do I, that? I, 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 70s, who knows? But uh, I remember uh, it, it, Colleen 70s. Camp... Yeah, Colleen Camp and Sandra Locke are great in the movie as the two girls. Yeah, and Colleen Camp... Um, she's pretty known too. I mean, I, I would say, right? I mean, she's been in uh, stuff. Uh, well, Sandra Locke's been in Matt Eastwood movies. Yeah, that's true. She has. Um, so <laughs> they got she was in Speed Two. I don't remember that. She was in Election. She's in uh, Knock Knock. <laughs> Yeah, she was. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, she was in. Last Action Hero, she was in. Wayne's World, uh, she was in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Police Academy 4, ooh. <laughs> and Police Academy 2. But yeah, she's been around. Um, I thought At least it wasn't Police was Academy 6. Ah! Oh, Lord. But uh, yeah, you're right. The main guy... Uh, Seymour Castle, you're correct. Yeah, and he, I don't know, I, I thought he, he did look like that freaking sheriff, but I guess, I guess not. He was in Rushmore, though, yeah. right? All, yeah. all, all white people look the same to me. <laughs> there you go. So you'll just, uh, you'll just believe it when I say it's him, but it's yep. really not. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I, I mean, I would say for people that have seen knock knock or even if you haven't and you want to see like a better version of it then yeah check out death game from 1977 so uh with that i'll kick it back to venom all right the next thing i am gonna talk about this week is uh oh man i didn't no no it's been it hasn't been that long okay uh basically i'm gonna look uh, i'm gonna talk about the very first horror film released in 2022 this movie was released literally on january 2nd of this year but it was incredible it was incredibly hard to find like i tried to find it at first mike knows the movie i'm talking about um it was it was potentially going to be the very first 2022 episode for fresh cuts but we weren't able to get a hold of the movie and finally it kind of appeared on vod over the last couple of weeks and that movie is deadware um, Deadware, for those who don't know, is basically just the story of two friends back in the late 90s. I believe 1999 is the exact year. So it's kind of the infancy of the Internet. You know, they're still using like, you know, AOL chat and, um, you know, chat rooms and things like that. And uh, these two people, one who seems like they're a little bit savvy with the Internet, who's been using it for a while. And then her friend, um, a guy that she that apparently they used to know or they used to live near each other. He's new to the Internet. So she's kind of just walking him through the Internet, you know, how to do little things like that. Um, The movie is incredibly slow. Like there's nothing super. I mean, the movie is only an hour and eight minutes long. And I don't think anything even remotely supernatural happens for almost like the 30 or 40 minute mark. But basically what ends up happening is these two people end up finding a a weird game. Uh, I forget the name of the game. It was like Hell House or something weird like that. They basically find like an online, like an RPG, like a click and point adventure or point and click adventure. Excuse me. And of course, you know, it's a horror movie, so it just kind of devolves from there. And 
you know, th- th- there's supernatural elements to it. You know, as the viewer, you're not 100 percent sure if this game is real, if this game uh, you get red herrings throughout the film that kind of start to change the context of the game that they're playing. Um, I'm actually probably making it sound way more cerebral than it actually is, because ultimately it, it, it ends up being kind of a dull film. I was on board for this film for at least the first half of it. I thought the two people in it, I mean, there's only two people in the whole movie. I think we get a, a, an appearance here and there by other characters, but the majority of the film is, you know, taken up by these two characters. And they're both fairly likable, fairly organic, realistic people. Like, you know, they're not caricatures. They're not annoying. You know, they're 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 fairly likable. So instantly, you know, I'm kind of on board. I, I, I don't hate these people. And um, but then just once uh, once the mystery kind of devolves and you kind of figure out what's happening and it just and then it just culminates in an incredibly unsatisfying ending that doesn't answer any questions whatsoever and tries to be clever. The movie thinks it's more clever than it actually is, unfortunately. So that's probably the best thing I can say about Deadware. Some decent performances by our main, you know, two stars, but. Aside from that, not a whole lot happening here. Mike, I know you saw this. Yeah, and as short as it was, and you said like an hour and eight minutes, mm-hmm. um, imagine how much shorter it would have been if one of the numerous times either of the characters said, yeah, I don't want to play this game anymore. If they <laughs> said, okay. Because <laughs> I swear, like, I, I, I was getting a kick out of it because I'm like, every 10 minutes, one of them is like, yeah, I don't think we should play this anymore. And the other person will always kind of half agree. And then they just keep doing it anyway. So I'm <laughs> like, well, you guys had multiple chances to stop. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is trying to kind of throw itself in with what would you, what are people calling it now? Like sc- computer screen horror genre or some, whatever you like the Dan refer and shit. to it. Yeah, like Zoom, Zoom horror, zoom, whatever. Zoom, Zoom, <laughs> Skype horror, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever your program of video chatting uh, is, I'm basically that. For Instagram and, horror. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I was trying to be like charitable to the movie because I actually mm-hmm. think the premise is somewhat interesting. Like instead of people just kind of hanging out talking on online they were actually like playing a game which sort of gave them a vested interest to keep going uh, unfortunately what they set up with the premise just in execution it was kind of not all there and it could just be a, you know budget they didn't really have a budget to do much but man maybe this would have made like a better like short you know and i know an hour and eight minutes is already <laughs> barely feature length as it is but like maybe like a 20 minute short they could have like invested some more just in into making like the game elements are playing a little bit more interesting i mean a shorter runtime might have worked for it but ultimately that ending is going to be disappointing no matter what the runtime if this was only a 20 minute short that 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 ending is just as disappointing to me i mean it's just such an ambiguous ending it's kind of left up to the viewer as to what actually happened what is happening why it's happening though we kind of have a kind of sort of idea why it's happening it, it, the reason just doesn't make a whole lot of sense is all so yeah, ultimately, you know, it's it's kind of a found footage style. I mean, I guess, you know, this Zoom Skype horror um, kind of falls into found footage, if you will, host movies like that. But this one just, yeah, left a lot to be desired. Fairly well made. I mean, it looked nice, but, you know, but otherwise there wasn't really a whole lot of compelling story points. Uh, the effects were just meh. 
and um, and honestly, no blood or kills either. So you know, so if, if that's something you're if you're looking for blood and kills and monsters, then yeah, Deadware is definitely not for you. Aww. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Um. Next. All right. Next, Derek. What do you got? Speaking of monsters, I got the Blu-ray in from Kino Lover of Tentacles, and I watched that. Ooh. Yeah, Tentacles is my jam. Uh, uh. Uh, craziest cast ever in a movie. Uh, John Huston. <laughs> Shelley Winters, Henry Fonda, <laughs> Italian killer octopus movie, and it's great because the music when the fucking octopus is creeping, do 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 do. But yeah, we actually talked about tentacles a little bit when we talked about uh, what the fuck was that movie I picked? Uh, Pearson, because the main yeah. theme of that movie is from the music from Tentacles. You know, and uh, yeah, it's cheesy. It's you know, Shelley Winters wears this giant cowboy hat in the movie. I died fucking laughing because I was so stoned watching it. I'm like, what the fuck are these people wearing? Like John Eustons is chilling around in long pajamas. It's fucking amazing. You just gotta watch it to believe it. <laughs> I should. I haven't seen Tentacles and. I've I've only I, seen it once, and I think I must have been incredibly drunk or stoned because I I remember I have a vision of seeing it, and I remember nothing about it. <laughs> you remember those long pajamas, don't you? I think I do. Yeah. Like what, year was this? what year was it? What year was it? Seventy-seven. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. It's just it, it might have been during one of my more drunky times. <laughs> oh, we gotta do it for creature comforts, man. I'd be down. Hell yeah. Hell, it's called it's, tentacles. I'm I'm sold. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's more tentacles in that than there was in monsters. Ooh, Ooh. spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I guess it's back to me. So I will say that uh, I watched <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I, so. I played a video game. I I did play a video game, but nothing new. I played some Last of Us 2 on the PS5, but uh, <laughs> um, I watched a handful of De Palma movies. I don't even remember exactly what had me doing. I think I was talking to a friend about Duncan different directors. McLeish. No, it wasn't Duncan. It was, I think, one of my friends that streams on Twitch, and I was in his chat, and we were just talking about directors, and De Palma came up, and I was like, you know, I haven't either seen a lot or some, or haven't seen him in a long time. Some of his earlier stuff, uh, like Dress to Kill, uh, Sisters, and uh, of course, I rewatched Carrie and uh, Phantom of the Paradise. I had never seen, and man, oh, that's so good. What, yeah, what I got to say, like, early De Palma, it's, like, post-Hitchcock giallo in some ways. Like, especially, like, Dress to Kill. Yeah. I'm like, this is pretty damn, like, if for people that like giallo, giallo haven't seen it. Yeah, I I mean, it must be, like, American style, because so many features of, like, what you see in a giallo are, yeah. are done so well in it. Um and I think that was what seventy four was it, or seventy two? Oh, that's maybe? like that's like eighty. 
What, just to kill? Yeah, 79 or 80. Just to kill is okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm confused with a different one, but uh, so that was pretty. That dress to kill was great. Um, it was seventies. It would be really Angie, Angie Dickinson's real pussy in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sisters was good with Margot Kidder. Uh, if you guys have seen that one, where it, they do like the Siamese twin. You never uh, seen Sisters before until today. Nope. Well, not today, but. A week ago, about <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I think I only saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm just trolling. Well, it made me think. Mike. It made me think. You know how, like, sometimes you see parody stuff and you think it's like a generalized parody, and then you see a certain movie that makes you go, "Oh, maybe they were parodying that." Well, there, there's a segment on an old Treehouse of Horror with Bart and Hugo. And they were like Siamese twins. And I always just figured it was like a general parody of like any, like just the body double or evil twin or whatever type movies. But then I, I remember that uh, at the end of that episode, they're like, oh, my God, the scar on Bart's on the wrong side. Is he really the evil one? And then in Sisters, they made like um, it important to show like the scar on the leg. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if like that element of it was directly from sisters so you know the no guarantee but i just found that kind of interesting how retrospectively you can like pick out yeah, things sisters from is great satires. yeah i mean margo kidder yeah. back then wow yeah, <laughs> yeah. and if i can you know you, you say like he's like Kaufman hedgecock he even has fucking bernard herman doing the fucking score of sisters <laughs> Yeah, well, that was an interesting thing because I, I was like coming off of Hitchcock. You have kind of like two lanes where it's like De Palma is almost trying to be like the next suspenseful Hitchcock. And then you have a guy like William Castle who's taking a lot of Hitchcock scenarios but almost making them more campy. So it was like two ways you could go because I wouldn't call William Castle movies like comedy or anything, but there's definitely a camp factor Oh, stuff, there's some you know, comedy so. in some of those. That thirteen frightened girls is a straight comedy. <laughs> yeah, I that mean that, like, that's true. But but like, yeah, like I said, like it, it, it's interesting that like there's two kind of like ways that uh, our directors branched out in the wake of Hitchcock. Um, and then of course you know with with early um, uh, De Palma, you see like the early use of like the split screen stuff and then how it gets more intense with different movies. He's made, he, he kind of stuck with it and uh, it, it works well. In his I, movies I wonder, sure. I wonder where, I wonder where Mike would think of the movie vision, vision. Hmm. Did you ever see that one? Venom? Oh yeah. I think it's, well, the, it's a movie like from the early seventies with like uh, the chick from T- Tiffany Bolin, the chick from like kingdom of the spiders. Oh, okay. Uh, the whole movie is split screen. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, like, the, half the movie is from the killer's point of view, and the other movie is from a potential victim. Yeah, it's kind of cool. it's kind of like the same thing they did with Time Frame a few years ago with four movies going on at the same time. Yeah. But, yeah, the vision vision was great. Yeah, I, I skipped... Um, like I skipped Scarface just because that's one that's kind of always been around through the years. Like I didn't really need to rewatch it for the sake of why I was watching De Palma. So, so, I didn't so you, didn't get watch, to, you didn't watch Untouchables? No, that's how you got Capone, Nash. 
No, um, I will. <laughs> See, what I, I I stopped it at about four or five of his movies, and I I mm. looked up his filmography, and I was like, wow, there's so many more. I'm just going to have to break this out into sections because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to go through his whole thing I in one kind of. Stretch. I can't wait till he gets the mission to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> he did Raising Cain, right? Yeah, so. is that the Palmer? I saw uh, that in the theater. Yeah, yeah, Lithgow, yeah. Yeah, like ninety two. I've seen it before, just haven't seen it in like a long time. Yeah, and I think, the, I think it came out when I was so young that like I just like when De Palma was the direct. I didn't. It's not like at twelve years old or whatever that name jumped out to me. Like, oh, Brian De Palma, you know? Oh, I had no idea. I I, I, I remember the trailer for that movie. Uh, the trailer for Raising Cain was awesome. It it got me hooked instantly. And then when I went to see the movie, I was not disappointed. I, I really liked it. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. I really like Snake Eyes. That's kind of an underrated one. It's yeah. kind of 90s, but Nick Cage is good in it. Oh, yeah, I didn't even know that was De Palma either. I think the first time I saw Snake Eyes, we, uh, me and a friend were movie hopping, and we saw Con Air and Snake Eyes together. Oh. Or may, maybe it was Seven as well. It was a long day at the theater. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did when we were kids. We we figured out the bus schedule to get to the theater for like the earliest showing. And then usually stayed there late enough to where like the bus stopped running. So like one of our parents had to get us, which they were always thrilled about. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, I had a mini De Palma Orama as I was referring to it. So I'll definitely have to do a volume two. Cause like I said, there's so much um, movies he's directed. I, I want mission to Mars to be part of that double the second it one. could be. I definitely got to get Blowout in the next one because that's yeah. that's one I have seen but not in a long time. So I want to revisit that. And uh, either that, you're gonna do mission later stuff. Well, if you want to get torturous, you just do a Mars marathon and do Mission to Mars and Red Planet, <laughs> and you will die and gouge your eyes out. And then total <laughs> recall. <laughs> no, uh, Last Days of Mars. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, alright so that yeah it's my mini De Palma Orama so Venom back to you alright as Mike talked about some classic films that he recently watched I'm going to go ahead and talk about one not a first time watch for me by any stretch of the imagination um, for anybody who knows me uh, you know that I went to Monster Palooza a couple of weeks ago it was actually the first week of June out here in Pasadena California um, got to meet some great people, Doug Bradley, Tim Curry, Ashley Lawrence, uh, the, the whole cast of Scream. It was a really, really great event, as most horror cons are, you know. Um, but I did a lot of spending. I, buy, I bought a bunch of 4Ks because uh, that was kind of my intention. I wanted to upgrade a lot of my old favorites that, you know, I still had only on Blu-ray or, God forbid, on DVD or VHS. So one of the ones that I upgraded, and I'm very happy I did, is actually if if I remember correctly, this is the one the number one favorite film of one of my podcast partners. I'm not sure if it's Derek or Don, but I know it's one of them. I know I, I've heard one of them say that this is their favorite movie of all time, bar none. And this is of course 1979's classic Lucio Fulci's Zombie, or in Italy Zombie 2, or other regions of Europe it was also known as Zombie 2. I went ahead and got the the, the Blue Underground 4K release, which is absolutely gorgeous. 
some great interviews. Um, it, it just the, the, I, I can't speak to how great this transfer is. I mean, Blue Underground, though Blue Underground maybe isn't you know the be all end all of 4K by any stretch. The, this transfer is beautiful. Um, just a flawless transfer. Beautiful audio. The sound is all remastered. And the special features are great. I mean, do I really even have to talk about the movie Zombie? I'm pretty sure we've all heard about it. I don't need to give you a synopsis. It's literally, probably, in my opinion, the second or third greatest zombie movie ever made. Easily the greatest foreign zombie movie ever made, in my opinion. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a Dawn of the Dead guy till the end. Number one zombie movie all time. Nothing touches it, but zombie comes really, really close, my friends. So, yeah, there it is. 1979 zombie on 4K. If you don't already own it, um, I would highly recommend it. Beautiful transfer, lots of great special features, and even a nice package, too, with some options for the cover, too. You, you can get, like two or three different cover options. Kind of like the special edition Blu-rays that they did a few years ago, but now it's, instead of being like a 3D rendered cool picture, it's just a flat image, but, you know, you, you still have a couple of options of which cover you want to get. So, yeah, Lucio Fulci Zombie, my friends. Like I said, I'm not even going to bother talking about the movie because do I really have to at this point? So, if you guys want to spew any anything on zombie, by all means, go ahead. I can't imagine you both haven't seen this movie in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite horror film of all time. There it is. It is Derek. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was Derek or Don. <laughs> it, it's both of us, actually. Oh, okay. oh that's even better. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. At least we agree on one movie, right? <laughs> it's... It's currently sitting on my wish list. I'm like hoping that it drops a little because that that strategy actually worked with uh, Demons 4K from Arrow and uh, or sorry uh, Synapse and the RoboCop 4K Arrow release because both those I ended up buying for like 25 bucks and I think Zombies still listed higher but I, i'm eventually gonna get it because yeah it is one of my favorite movies of all time i think it most movies i don't necessarily always upgrade like every new technological uh, release zombie is one of them um i i remember buying like the bare bones well one i had it on vhs bought the bare bones dvd when it first hit then i got that um that two disc, I think it was the 25th anniversary collection. And then, um, whatever was, whoever released on Blu-ray and yeah, 4k blue underground. I I thought it was blue underground. Um, and the 4k, yeah, it's sitting there. I I check on it weekly just to see, um, (laughs) because the moment it drops, I'm getting it. I have like 35 copies of the movie. (laughs) <laughs> That's nice. how I am with Dawn of the Dead. I got about, I got at least yeah. uh, a dozen to fifteen different versions. I, I mean, I've got that on, I've got Dawn on Laserdisc. I've got it, I've got it on, yeah, remember HD uh, DVD that that failed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got it on that. I, yeah, I, I even have the Shriek Show DVD, which is like fucking weird because she Shriek Show is fucking terrible company. Wow, <laughs> yeah, it has a great, it has a great box art though. Yeah. I, I find that my enthusiasm for 4K is already having me break my like collector rule because I'm I'm nowhere near the, like I wouldn't even classify myself classify myself as a collector anymore like even now but when I first grabbed some 4Ks like 
I was like, oh, I'll just grab some of the like my favorite horror movies of all time. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, movies like RoboCop. Um, I love Predator, like sci-fi. Like, it's just like it's once you start, it's it's tough because it's hard to draw like a hard line in the sand for the standard of like what I will buy and won't buy. Like, obviously, there's some movies that I'll just never buy on 4K because I don't care. But it's hard to say like, okay, these are the 10 movies that I care about the most that they'll that will be the only ones i upgrade it's like it never works like that so i um i have been buying like some 4k not in like mass like i don't i'm not doing these crazy like 300 orders of like you know 50 movies or thir- whatever the price would work out to but i do find myself like browsing around a lot more <laughs> than i have in the last few years and yeah that deals yeah, stay away from those Kino seals. Those are fucking addicted. <laughs> I, I notice that like a lot of um, a lot of these 4K releases, like they'll be expensive initially, but then like there's all these like collab sales between like different distribu- distributors and websites that like you can catch like pretty good deals if you kind of just like you know browse around in a way and i i understand like when it comes to collectors there's certain movies that you're just not gonna wait it's like the moment it's announced you're pre-ordering it you're gonna get it and that's that but for me it's like i kind of just build up a wish list on different sites and uh wait for alerts for price drops or sales and i've been pretty lucky that most of the stuff that i've wanted to get is i've been able to buy it when significant um uh, price has been uh, reduced and I, I guess that's yeah it's different if like you're the, the person that wants like because I know sometimes they'll do the limited releases where it's like oh all this extra stuff but you there's only like going to be like 200 copies of it so that's the stuff I'm always going to probably end up missing out on but just for like kind of like a steel book or something most of the time by the time I buy it it's like down to like 20 ish which to me is plenty okay for everything you get. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I tend not to double dip unless it's my favorites, but my favorites isn't even 10. Like I, I couldn't even name 10 movies that I'm always updating when new technology comes out. I mean, for me, it's closer to five or six, but yeah, I am still a technology whore and I love my 4k, you know, video and audio. So yeah. Yeah, like I like I know for sure if like uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street of a 4K box box set comes out of that, that's I don't think I'm going to be waiting around. Well, I don't know. I can't say that for sure. One, it depends on the price, and two, what's in the set. Like, because if it's if it's if it's a case where if you don't buy this set now, then you're going to miss out on half like the stuff. I'll probably just bite the bullet and pay the extra money. But if it's basically just like it's a 4K set and they're in 4K and you get like a poster, I I probably wouldn't care to have to get that on day one. But we'll see. I know it's eventually there's no way they're not going to do it. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the same way with Friday. I mean, when the Friday box set was released or was announced from Scream Factory, I reserved it right away. I didn't even care. Take my money. And if a 4K box set comes out of that, even though I don't really need for I mean, it's fucking Friday the 13th, for Christ's sake. You know, none of them have stunning cinematography or amazing visuals that I need 4K by any stretch. But it is my favorite horror franchise. So, yeah, I will absolutely, if they ever announce a 4K box set, I'll be that idiot paying 350 bucks for it. 
Yeah, I was. I've been really impressed with the 4K transfers on the Hitchcock collection box sets because I I just grabbed uh, Volume Two, and uh, it's just amazing. Like for movies that old, that if you know if uh, they're able to preserve the originals and be able to like upgrade directly off that, remix everything and convert it, like they come out really well. Like just the the style of the colors and it's yeah. it's pretty amazing. The yeah, I just watched flowers. the birds. I just watched the birds this past weekend on 4K, and yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, um, I never grabbed any of those yet. I gotta eventually. I just got Psycho and the Birds. I didn't get any of the sets. Um, yeah. I love yeah, Hitchcock, the, the, but I I just don't have that much money at any given time. <laughs> the, the, fir- the first the first set is pretty much like the. <laughs> the first, the volume the one is pretty much like the shameless big four that like everybody would point to. It's it's Psycho, the Birds, Rear Window, and Vertigo. Like you really can't go wrong with volume one because it's like the four that probably everyone's gonna What's like, and then two? two starts getting deeper. Uh, what the hell's on uh, part two? Shit! Now that you're putting me on the spot, I can't even freaking name them. Just look at your like, Amazon. Just look at your Amazon. Order? Did you order from Amazon? Uh, I don't know. Was it Amazon? It was somewhere. Uh, God damn it, I can Dennis! Do you have Butterfingers? <laughs> uh, it is Saboteur, uh, Shadow of Doubt, The Trouble with Harry, Marnie, and Family Plot. Oh, Marnie so, was good. I mean, most. Of yeah. Them. So volume volume two actually had five instead of four. So that's cool. no frenzy. I, I, no rope. No setting. I assume they're gonna have more volumes. Oh yeah, definitely. Like they're not gonna. Rope is my favorite Hitchcock movie, so yeah, and it it does not get enough love in my opinion. But you know, hopefully we'll rectify that when it comes out on 4K. Yeah, and and the funny thing is, when it comes like Kubrick, I've already bought A Clockwork Orange and The Shining, and I'm kind of kicking myself because I'm like, I bet there's eventually gonna be like a Kubrick set, and I should have just waited. Pretty sure there's already. Well, is is it like? But it's is not it like, just like a. It's is not it horror. Like it's, new? Um, it's like I, I could swear it was like it's the same as the Hitchcock, where it's like his four big ones: Clockwork Orange, uh, Full Metal Jacket, 2001. 2001 uh, I can't think of what else. Definitely uh, not Barry Lyndon. <laughs> oh fucking! That's a fucking experience and a half. <laughs> you can Barry, call it Barry that, Lyndon yeah. was in the. Uh, what you might call it the uh, original DVD set I had. Nice. Yeah. yeah, all seven hours of it. All right, yeah. The Kubrick five disc is Clockwork Orange, The Shining, 2001 Space Odyssey, Full Metal Jacket, and Spartacus. Yep. I'm very excited because the Kino has been out, like a lot of his older movies on 4K, like The Kill-In and... Uh, Paths of Glory, which I fucking love. Paths of Glory, that's a fucking great movie. Yeah, the big difference is this is listed at eighty-seven dollars, where the Hitchcock collection for the five was like forty bucks. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, price to drop. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, don't you know? Um, the fog, <laughs> all right. So I think. We were originally talking about zombies, so will that put it back to Derek now? Yep. <laughs> All right, Derek, yeah. what do you got? <laughs> I got... Uh, 
I'm trying to think. What do I want to talk about? Yeah, fuck it. I'm going to talk about video games because Mikey is the fucking video game motherfucker. <laughs> I, pl- I played fucking Power Rangers Battle for the Grid on Nintendo Switch, motherfucker. Wow. What? How is it? <laughs> it's pretty awesome if you're a Power Rangers fan. Is, Which, it, uh, is it like a beat-em-up game? Like what What style of game? Yeah, it's like Mortal Kombat, yeah. Oh, a fighting have, game, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. But I, I play the story mode, which is pretty much uh, like a kind of shortened version of the Shattered Grid uh, graphic novel. If you guys ever heard of that, heard of it, never uh-huh. read it. Which is about a uh, Lord Draken, who is an alternate version of uh, the Green Ranger, Tommy Oliver. Uh, if he actually stayed evil, and he ends up. Uh, Combine the green and white powers together and killing Reader Repulsor and becoming the head bad guy. And he ends up going to all the other universes and trying to take all the other Power Rangers' powers. And it's up to them to try to stop him with uh, the help of the other Green Ranger, of course, the our world's Tommy. It's pretty good, you know. It has you know some of the button combinations kind of well most fighting games I notice on the Switch. Still trying to learn some button combinations that way, but I did beat the game. It was pretty good in that sense where it was. I think if you're a Power Rangers fan, it has like you know another thing that kind of upset me is there's not really a variety of music in the game, which kind of sucks. But overall. You know, I had fun, you know, and you get the call to Zords, they give you assists, which I like. You, like, if you have, like, the Dragon Zord, its tail just comes in and hits your enemy. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I had fun with it, you know. That, that was my era stuff, and uh, I do recommend, if you guys are interested, read the Sh- Shattered Grid graphic novel by uh, Kyle Higgins. It's pretty fucking awesome. Violent is all hell, too. Listening to Derek... You got- Listening to Derek describe this game makes me feel like a non-horror fan when I try to describe the plot of the Greasy Strangler to them. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say, I I understand what Derek's talking about. I've never watched an episode of Power Rangers in my fucking life, so it's the point I'm trying to make. I I don't think about it. Uh, And like I said, hearing you talk about this and that and this, it's like, oh, okay, that's... uh, yeah, just a lot of information that means very little to me. But, yeah, I finally know what it feels like for a non-horror fan to hear me spout off about weird horror movies. That's <laughs> 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 so good. <laughs> Have either of you uh, grabbed, uh, what is it called? Uh, the, what's that new? It's like a Nintendo uh, Switch uh, Ninja Turtles like game, but I think it, ha- oh, it includes Shredder's like Revenge? a bunch of them. Shredder's <laughs> Revenge, is it? I think that's the name of it. Yeah, that's the one that's getting I I haven't grabbed it yet. I grabbed a few games today, but uh, my switch my switch isn't even plugged in. My switch hasn't been plugged in in about a year and a half. Not to say that not to say anything negative about the switch. I loved it when I was using it, but just once PS5 and uh, Xbox Series all came out, I just kind of forgot all about my switch. Like the, a game hasn't come out since to make me want to pull it back out of the closet. I guess let's let's go with that. And my switch is in the closet. Well, well, I know two things is Venom has to pick up his switch again, and he has to 
watch at least the monster scenes of Power Rangers. Yeah, I'd, I'd be down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. For me, wow. Okay, this last one. Have you guys seen Backcountry? The one with the bear? I have not. <laughs> I did. So this is like a the ra- same guy. This is a random same. pick on Shutter. I believe it was on Shutter. Yeah, it's the same I, guy I just, who did a uh, Piwacka. Same director. Oh, nice. Oh, isn't it interesting? Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing I'll say about Backcountry. There's not a ton of killer bear action, but what we do get is really good, I think. So this movie might be, or as far as people's enjoyment or how how much they like the movie, it might be dependent on, you know, how much you're kind of into the characters up to that point, into like their 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 character dynamic, the story, their the dialogue, and all that up until the bear shows up. If you're if you're on board and you're kind of interested to see what happens to them. I think you'll be in for a treat once the the bear shows up and does bear things. If you're struggling to get to that point, is there enough bear action that you'll be like, wow, this is you like, will you still think it's a very good or even great movie? I don't know, but I think some of the stuff depicted with the bear on it, I mean, it was pretty visceral and realistic. And I think that's, the sometimes movies uh, like this it can be the strength when they're not going for all the over top over the top stuff but what they do feature seems like it could be pretty plausible um so i guess that's the shortest way i can sum up uh backcountry it is still streaming on shutter and i i liked it a good amount well what do you think Derek? of it i liked it it kind of annoyed me that Eric Belfour was in the movie because all I thought about was, hey, that's the guy from Dino Shark. <laughs> you know? But other than that, it's a pretty good movie for what it is. Yeah, I, I like it. And it's, I think it's like, yeah, you know, like your standard 80 to 90 minute movie. Doesn't feel too padded. Um, quick, quick, easy watch. Nothing, uh, nothing too deep going on there. Just your typical couple with a some relationship dynamics going on and hey a killer bear shows up that's hungry based on a true story too i believe oh yeah yeah cool (laughs) well i guess yeah a a bear attack would be based on many true stories (laughs) i guess if you want to get no i think it was actually based on a real case that the director read about like in uh, Canada, it's a Canadian film, so that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a pretty horrifying true story for sure. <laughs> don't don't feed and don't poke the bears. Um, Man, the- okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it, I guess, for what we watched. Um, news. I guess we move on to news. Do we have any news? I have some sad news about the co-founder of Goblin. Uh, that I'm sure you guys have read, right? Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I just heard about it today, waiting for the movie to start. Oh, for real? Yeah. I mean, I, I know it happened a couple of days ago, but I, I haven't been, like I said, I've been on vacation, so I haven't really been on the internet much. Yeah, I haven't really been on Facebook that much lately. What happened? Founder of Goblin passed away. The guitarist founder? Yeah, the guitarist. Yeah. What's his He's name? listed as, yeah, guitarist. It's, it's, uh, it's a really long Italian name. 
<laughs> I think it starts with like. Hey, we're all assholes. <laughs> no, I know. Especially me. I I I I own multiple Goblin soundtracks, but I couldn't name one member of the band. So. It's Massimo Marante. Mario Simonetti. That's the only one I know. Yeah, he he's listed as Goblin co-founder, dead at sixty-nine. Um, yeah, he, guitarist co-founder Massimo Marante. And oh, yeah, all right. that sucks because you know they were just. I, I don't want to say they were just getting back into it because now they've been doing it for a few years, but doing like U.S. tours. I know one of them. I think they played. I'm not sure if it was a Superior contract or contract soundtrack. I, I'm not sure if that's the one they did the entire soundtrack of or one of the different movies they scored. But um, yeah, that, that sucks. Because they were kind of having a second career, because I think they did break up, or just kind of like stopped doing their thing. Then there was two different versions of Goblin going for a while. Like Claudio Simonetti had his own version of Goblin, and then the other group had another version of Goblin. (laughs) It's like what? (laughs) Ah man! All right. Nice Um, job bringing down the. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Mike. Yeah, I know. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, I guess another piece of news, the Winnie the Pooh horror <laughs> movie. I think Winnie that's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I, I mean, if if the pictures from that were accurate, it looks kind of messed up. Yeah, I'm always kind of... Uh cautious on these types of movies you know i fully expected to hate the banana splits but i ended up enjoying that one um i mean i'm open to the winnie the pooh movie i i am a huge winnie the pooh fan i grew up with winnie the pooh um absolutely adored the stories the movie the tv shows everything around winnie the pooh so i don't know it's almost sacrilegious you know like nothing is sacred anymore which you know is fine I'm not against a Muppet horror movie or a, uh, you know, a Fraggle Rock, uh, a Fraggle Rock rape revenge movie. I mean, whatever. Throw it at me. Whatever you got. But wow. yeah, yeah, sometimes it just gets a little overboard. Yeah, that Fraggle Rock rape revenge movie is going to be pretty hardcore. <laughs> Go well, I guess I yeah, I, I guess that's the question with these types of movies all the time. It's like. Is is this just going to be a dumb gimmick type movie where it's like we can make a horrible movie, but because Winnie the Pooh is the killer, then everyone you know is going to see it anyway, so we don't have to put much effort into it and all that kind of stuff. Or are they actually going to try to make an interesting movie? I mean, because you got to realize the only reason this is being made is because the copyright to Winnie the Pooh expired earlier this year. So literally anybody can make a Winnie the Pooh movie now. Kind of fucking, it sucks. This is what I don't like about it. With the Banana Splits, uh, that film company got permission from Hanna-Barbera to make that movie. So that was, which is probably why I ended up kind of liking that movie. It's campy and silly, yes, but... I had a good time with it for whatever it's worth. This is a bunch of fucking vultures who just were waiting around, waiting around for the copyright to expire. And then, bam, all right, now let's take it. I mean, trust me, folks, once, like, The Wizard of Oz expires, that copyright expires, we're going to get Wizard of Oz horror movies. 
you know, every great franchise from 75 to 100 years ago, once those copyrights expire, there's always going to be some shyster ready to make a buck on it. So I, I don't want to I don't want to pan uh, what it's blood and honey, right? Winnie the Pooh, blood and honey or whatever is the name of the thing. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I'm not going to talk shit about a movie that hasn't come out yet. I, I don't like doing that. I hate when other people do that. So I'm, I'm just going to refrain from it. I will say, though, that the little kid in me, little five-year-old Mr. Venom, is not happy that they're making a Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Let's just go with that. <laughs> and 50-year-old Mr. Venom is even less happy about it. <laughs> a tigger, a tigger. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like Hollywood's just run out of ideas. I mean, that's why we're churning out remakes and prequels and sequels like, you know, like they're free because of Hollywood's run out of ideas. And every time we get a genuinely original idea, you know, it's lucky if it comes out in 50 theaters. So I just, yeah, I don't know that this is even a theatrical movie. It's probably going to be straight to VOD, but, and I'm still going to watch it ultimately, even, even with my misgivings about it, I'm still going to watch it. I give every movie a chance. I will always give every movie a chance, but I'm, let's just say I'm not excited. Coming soon, the fresh cuts. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Winnie the Pooh. La, 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 la. <laughs> if he fucking cuts a half a lump's head off, that would be fucking amazing, though. <laughs> no, he's got to cut Eeyore's tail off. That, that'll that be the no, backstory. Eeyore's the actually going to commit suicide in this movie. He's just going to be slitting his he wrist. He almost has to. I mean, Eeyore is fucking a, a walking <laughs> poster for suicide. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, I would be, too, if I lived in his house. Granted, you know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to comment. <laughs> uh, what else you got, Mike? Um, had, I guess this is more for Venom. Have you picked up the game, The Quarry? Not yet. I am absolutely going to get it. 100%. I'm still playing. I just picked up Lego Star Wars, and and it's it's all nine Skywalker movies, so it's kind of a long game, and it's it's multiplayer. So the wife and I are playing it. So once I I'm beat done with the that, whole thing, it's amazing. Oh, did you? Nice. Yeah. Once once we're done with that, because we we just finished uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, also co-op. Um, and then we jumped into Lego because she had bought that for my birthday back in April, and, and we had never played it. So yeah, the quarry will be will be next. Those Lego games are fucking cool. Oh, they're fun as hell, dude. I'm playing the uh, Lego the, uh, the, the Death Star run. <laughs> the yeah, Death Star run in the first movie was awesome in the game. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I'm only up to uh, Return of the Jedi right now, so we're not very far into it. <laughs> okay, you're about to bring balance to the Force. Oh, well, <laughs> with, yeah, trust me. Legos. If I had the Force, I would not be bringing balance to it, my friends. It would be darker than ever. I'm also playing uh, Lego DC Villains, and that's fucking fun as fuck. I heard that's really good, too. Yeah, I haven't had a... I'm not a big DC guy, so I don't really run out and buy the video games. I only got it because it has, like, all, like, great voice actors as the characters, too. Like, Mark Hamill plays the Joker in it. Nice. They brought Michael Ironside to play Darkseid, and it's fucking awesome. I am Darkseid Quaid. Which Batman voice is it? Uh, Kevin Conroy. Oh, Kevin Conner. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, Do you guys have any news? Because the only the only other news thing I have is going to kind of tie into the burning question, so I was going to save it for last. But if you guys don't have anything, I'll just go ahead and do it. 
no, I don't have any news. I got a new wedding band, if that, if that's news. <laughs> Robert England was in Stranger Things. Did we talk about that? Oh, wow, that's right. We have <laughs> surprise. That's Beth Evil episodes. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I'll just do the last news item, and then once we're done, I'll kind of explain how to tie it into the burning question. But anyway. Music. I guess this is a this was a bigger news item when we were probably originally going to record. I, I would say we'll say it's topic worthy, but you know it's been a couple weeks, so people have had time to talk about it. But basically, uh, uh, the franchise is continuing. The next entry is next year, I believe, 2023. But its biggest uh, actress, face, character, whatever, besides the villain itself. Uh, will not be a part of it, at least according to the latest of everything we've heard. And that would be Nev Campbell is out of Scream 6. Uh, from what's been said, it sounds like it's a money issue. It doesn't it doesn't sound like it's a story. Like, it's not creative differences. It's not – she's not happy with the story or her role or how she was written. It, At least from what I'm hearing, it's a money issue. Now, to me, I'm like – Unless she was requesting like a ridiculous amount of money that's like way over the budget of what they would pay, I don't even understand how this could be. I mean, I, I I'm not saying it's not the reason. I just don't understand from the business side why they just wouldn't pay her because like it, your screen makes money. It's not like it's a struggling franchise looking you know on its last legs looking to turn a profit it, it makes money it's the one franchise where she's pretty much been there well she has literally been there every entry i mean you can make the argument that her presence in one or two of the movies wasn't necessary i guess other than just the fandom reasons of oh we got to tie it in um so i mean before i open it up to really the more burning question side of what I'll get to when it just comes to this specific I, I guess it's going to be different depending on everyone's level of fandom for Scream itself because uh, probably the Scream diehards are more you know ups- I don't even know if I want to use the word upset but they're probably more just like what the hell like how can you not do it Venom I know you're kind of lukewarm on not just Scream but the franchise mm-hmm like, does this even matter to you that not at she's all. not going to be in it? In, in no franchises. I, I know we're, we're speaking specific to Scream right now, but to answer the general question at large, uh, at no it, in no franchise do I need legacy characters to come back. I genuinely don't care. Now, obviously, when you have a certain connection, like, you know, especially with Nev Campbell, Scream fans have a major connection with her. They expect her to, to, you know, to see her in every Scream movie. So I can almost understand it. But ultimately... You can't say that the movie's automatically going to be bad because Neff Campbell's in it. Because what if it turns out to be the best fucking Scream movie? I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm saying what if? You got to be open. You have to be receptive to that. And I'm always receptive to that kind of stuff. But at the same time, yeah, I I really don't care about legacy characters. I just want a good movie. Whether it's a prequel, a requel, a remake, a reboot, or a completely original IP, I want, well, obviously in this case, we're not talking about completely original IPs, but 
I just don't care. I don't care about legacy characters. I'm a Friday the 13th guy. And yes, was I excited to see the return of Tommy Jarvis in um, Don't Hoke, uh, Don't Hike Alone at Night or whatever it was? Uh, <laughs> no, Don't Hike Alone. Never never Hike Alone, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Don't Hike um, Alone, especially at night. Yeah, don't, don't Hike in the Woods with Boots on on a Friday in September. That's a good movie, right? I like that movie. Anyway. Uh, yeah, as a Friday the 13th fan, was I excited to see Tommy Jarvis back in a Friday fan film? Yes. Did it make the movie for me? No, not remotely. That that short, that fan film is awesome for many, many multitude of other reasons, not just because Tommy Jarvis came back or one of the Tommy Jarvises. It's not like it was Corey Feldman or anything, but still. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to me, I really don't care. I'm still going to see the next Scream movie. I, you know, if anything, I'm kind of excited for the next Scream movie because I like when franchises take chances. You know what I mean? I've said it before. I'd rather see a longstanding horror franchise take a chance and fail than just rehash the same shit over and over and over and over again. You know, people might want to talk about, you know, Friday the 13th Part 5, you know, a movie where Jason doesn't even appear. Um, but they took a chance. They took a chance with a copycat killer. It had varying results and they never did it again. So, you know, you know, it was an experiment. Jason goes to hell. The whole, J- you know, Jason jumping from body to body. Once again, they tried something original. Was it successful? Eh, that's in the opinion of the viewer. Uh, I think most people would probably say no because they wanted more actual Jason in that movie. And I'm, I'm you know, I will say I would have liked to have seen more Jason in that movie. But I still really like Jason Goes to Hell. It's one of my guilty pleasures in that franchise. So, um, so yeah, like I said, legacy characters to me, just it doesn't carry any weight. I have never, and I mean, and, and this is going to sound like an exaggeration, folks, but I am speaking 100% the fucking truth right now. I have never, ever in my fucking life seen a movie because of a certain person that was in it. Never. Nobody. Zero. I have never gone to say, oh, Christopher Lee's in that movie. Let's go see it. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Fred Willard's in that movie. Let's go see it. Oh, you know, I, I, I literally have never made that fucking statement in my life. For me, movies aren't about one or two characters. It's about the whole yeah. the package, the entertainment value of the entire thing. So, yeah, you know, kind of like in the 80s where people were like, oh, Linnea Quigley's in a new horror movie. Let's go rent it. You know, I, that, that, that's never been me ever. And even as a kid, even as a as a boob obsessed teenager, that was never me. I've never in my life watched a movie because of a particular actor or actress was in it. So, you know, legacy characters literally mean less than zero to me. That's the short answer <laughs> that ended up being really, really long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'll go ahead, and I'm <laughs> gonna say I kind of agree with Venom. I like that they're changing it up for once. Because God damn it, it took him a while to kill fucking Dewey, and he finally did. <laughs> he should have died in fucking Scream Two. Yep. I said it. I said it, and I agree with it. <laughs> you know, fucking. You know, Oh, it's just, they're just lingering there. You know, they're going to be old fucking people still playing the Scream movies. And, you know, I I, I have some issues with Scream 5, but I kind of like the main actress that was the main character of the movie. And I would like to see her follow her story a little bit more instead of following Sydney. Because that's what the whole idea of being a reboot was. You introduce these new characters through the legacy characters and move on. 
which I think that this movie is going to do, which I'm fine with, you know, and I think Sydney and Gail story could have ended at the end of Scream 5 and just leave it there and just follow these new characters now. Yeah, honestly, there's not really a lot left to tell with Gail and um, Sydney. Especially like, with no Dewey anymore. Well, you know. and, and without Dewey, yeah, but I mean, and and ultimately Dewey was my favorite of the three, even though I fully agree with Derek that he should have died in part two. But, you know, uh, again, and, and then the other thing is, too, uh, to, to Mike's point about why she wasn't offered enough money, you have to realize movie studios are always looking for ways to cut corners and still make the money that they can make. My my prediction is that they're going to release Scream 6 without Nev Campbell. And then based on the success of that movie will dictate if she's back in Scream 7. So if Scream 6 turns out to be just as much of a success as the last movie, I don't think we'll ever see Nev Campbell again. Because that means that the filmmakers can make all their money and not have to pay their number one star. And that is, that's a huge money-saving move in the industry. I know it's shitty, Whoa. especially from fans. You know, Nobody wants to see Freddy Krueger played by anybody but our boy, but you know, but it's in, in, in really in a roundabout way, it's just going to go into the marketing even more, because if you look at it, if, if nothing happens between now and like when scream six comes out and Ned Campbell is indeed not in it. And this isn't all some type of like cunning, cunning ruse, I guess. So it's like um, Disney. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Let, so that what that probably means is like people will be overly curious about the first scream entry without Sydney, right? Then if if six makes money, like a lot of money, then if they do get Nev Campbell back, then they can build Scream Seven as like, oh, Sydney's huge return to Scream to generate even more interest. And um, I will say, it's probably just about a happy coincidence, but. This is going to be the first screen movie that's not in Woodsboro, right? Like yeah. it's going to be New York, New York I think. Yep. So right there, it almost gives a built-in ex- like if they if they tweak the story enough, there's kind of like a built-in excuse why it's possible for her the character not to be involved in it, right? Because it's not like Nev or excuse me, Sydney is necessarily just going to follow these characters around you know, when she has her own life separate going on, like she's not still in Woodsboro as a character. She did come back to help out in a movie, but she's not there anymore. Like even in, um, uh, five, like Dewey kind of had to be coaxed back into the situation. He was kind of like moved on with his life. Well, I guess what life we could call it at that point, but like the OG characters that were still alive, it's not like they're just, sitting around anyway so i don't think it's the be all end all that she's not in this one because i highly doubt that she'll never be back i just think they could turn it into even bigger marketing campaign for when she eventually does come back and that's what this franchise i don't think i mean this franchise specifically yeah i I just think she's been done if they're not going to pay her for this what makes you i mean like i said if scream six is a failure if it is an abject failure Sydney will be back in seven and and uh, what do you call it? The company will offer her the money that she wants because as long as, as, yeah, as long as I don't get any, any fucking weird visions of Billy Loomis, because that was my major problem with the last movie. I'm like, eh. 
Uh, when he's he's pointing at the knife, like, I'm helping you, daughter. I'm like, what the fuck are they trying to redeem Billy right now? What the fuck is this movie? Fuck this movie. That was kind of weird. I mean, obviously, those were the daughter's hallucinations, and her image of her father is a little bit more positive than society's image of her father. So that's how I looked at it. I just, I, I looked at it, that was her. She's an unreliable narrator, so she's... Yeah. You know, she sees her father as a hero, even though we all know that he was just a scumbag. But yeah, yeah. like I said, um, <laughs> if, if they're not going to offer Nev Campbell the money that she deserves for six, I don't see why they would do it for seven if six is a success. She got What's paid that? probably the same amount for fucking Scream 3, and she's barely in that fucking movie. Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. I, like I said, I'm not a big Scream franchise fan, so I don't really look into the franchise, like, behind-the-scenes stuff too much. But, I mean, I as was long as they bring there, back, I can, I can actually give you guys a live report. I was there when Nev Campbell made the announcement. She made that announcement on day one of Monster Palooza at the Scream um, table, at the Scream uh, meet, whatever you want to call it, meet and greet. Oh, yeah. um, she actually made the announcement there that she would not be returning uh, to the Scream franchise. And yeah, and she even talked about uh, talking to Jamie Lee Curtis because Jamie Lee Curtis was the exact same way. Jamie Lee Curtis, like back in like during the Halloween H2O um, days, like when her return, her return to the franchise, um, they really didn't want to pay her that much. And she made the argument that, you know, it, people are coming to see Lori. You know, they're coming to see Lori versus Michael. That is Halloween. That is the Halloween franchise. And she was able to talk um, whoever it was, New Line or whoever the studio was, to actually pay yeah, her yes. the money. And and she actually brought up a con- – Nev brought up a conversation that she had with Jamie Lee Curtis where Jamie – I don't want to accuse Jamie of putting the idea in her head of, of quitting Scream, not by any stretch. Hmm. But Jamie, Jamie Lee definitely in, instilled a sense of her own value, her value within that franchise. And if she's not getting paid what she feels she deserves for being the face of that franchise, aside from Ghostface, then, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think she'll ever be back. Like I said, if Scream 6 is an absolute flop, she'll be back. <laughs> she'll be back. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's an interesting contrast because you have the Scream franchise where – Sydney's always been there. Now her importance in the movie or role or how she's written in the story has, you know, varied with each, with each entry, but she's always been there now with, with Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie Strode. It was, it was kind of a different situation. She was in the first two. Then the franchise kind of went on to where eventually I think it was in people's heads that Laurie Strode wasn't really even necessary. I mean, they did try to do like the Jamie Lloyd thing, like, Oh, well, technically she's related. Like, you know, but no one, I don't really think people cared about it for that aspect, but then she comes back for H2O and it's like a huge deal. Um, then she's gone again. And then now of course, well, then the whole retconning thing happened where she's back. Um, uh, and I would, uh, and that was first announced. <laughs> well, when that was announced, I always thought like, um, uh, what are they gonna? Because Jamie Lee Curtis is not young. Like, eventually, just the actress will not be available to do it. So it's like, is what's more important? Just to the people that want to make them, you know? Or are they gonna, are they gonna move beyond the character, or will it just be one day they're just gonna recast Laurie Strode? 
right? Because I think that's an aspect. Um, and then the same with, same with Stream. Like, if Nev Campbell decides just not to return, period, like she can't work something out, it's like, well, do they just determine, well, okay, we'll just have to write the character of Sydney out because Nev's been it this whole time. It's, we're not just, until, like, you know, maybe a, if they did like a remake or a reboot 20 years down the road where we haven't had Scream movies, I think it becomes a little easier. But if Scream's back on this path of like we're going to be coming out with new ones all the time, I think it's more prevalent that she's not there. Um, okay, and then you have like other franchises because like Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy came back for one in part mm-hmm. three. Um, and it was I, I was I was too young at the time to see was it was that a big part of the advertising that she was back or was it just nope this is just a new well not really she only been gone for a year because they made one two and three in consecutive years so uh, there was almost no time without her <laughs> it's like well like I just meant like people in general were like people talking about like oh cool Nancy's back or nah, not. I mean don't forget this is before the internet too so I mean it's really going to be just whatever my yeah, you never know said we never really follow these people like that too because you know these actors like Evan Lynn Camp and like Linnea Quigley and people like that exactly. they were just we didn't know them you know I didn't know Linnea Quigley was the same girl from Night of the Demons and Return of the Living Dead until later on in life you know <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Think people, um, people put too much stock in legacy characters and not enough stock in just getting a good movie. Like I like I would love to speak to a diehard Scream fan, like a Lacey Lou, and just ask her, would you rather Scream Six be the best Scream movie ever or star Nev Campbell? You can only have one. I'd be really interested to hear what her answer is. <laughs> well, I would be. Well, I would be interested. Well, they already brought back a character that died already. Yeah, She died in fucking Scream Four. Maybe she like, has a twin. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. Why? Well, you know? I'd be see if she. I, I'm back to see if. She, yeah, I'd be interested to see if she thinks that, outside of like this character of Sydney actually dying in a movie or in a screen movie where she can't come back. I'm interested to see if Lacey would be like, well, it can't be the best movie without, you know, like give that kind of answer. That's the other thing um, too. I mean, would you rather your favorite character be killed off or, or just not be in a movie in a chapter or two so that they could make a triumphant return later? Like the, the fact that the character hasn't been killed off means the door is always open for her to come back. And that, that kind of mystique could, you know, sell future chapters of the movie. Um, especially amongst it. hardcore fans. Oh, I'm not going to spoil it, but a TV show that's been around recently kind of did something awesome, and I waited fucking 20 years to see this, <laughs> and it happened. I'm, I'm not going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to yeah. say what the show is. Yeah, I know. I already know what you're talking about. I, 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 yeah, a I few people that. probably too. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said 19 years. It's exactly 19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I totally agree with you, Derek. That that show that you're talking about, uh, I, I had a nerd erection. That that whole final episode, I had, I, I had equal parts, um, uh, equal parts turned on and equal parts sad. It was it was kind of interesting. I was crying yeah, I, with erection. I, I don't know that I've ever done that before, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was crying when they started because you know they. They, they didn't play, like, legacy music throughout the whole show, exactly. and then they started to play the last yep. episode. Like, oh, yeah. why are they playing this right now? 
<laughs> it's like oh, that little funny. sting, that little musical sting in Doctor Strange, in the second Doctor Strange movie. It's oh, that little gosh, you know, you fucking, oh, tell me your nipples didn't get hard when you heard that. Oh, I jumped God. out of my seat. My sister was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yep. I'll tell you later. Exactly. I did, too. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, um, it's... Go ahead. I was going to say, in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, they kind of did it with Nancy, but then also Alice, and she survived four and five and then just never showed up in in six. And I did, I, I remember I did ask her, like, hey, did they ever come to you initially about being in six? Because, like, you're one of the only ones in this franchise that, like, you survived and you, you just weren't there. And she's like, no. <laughs> she's like, I I was never approached to reprise my role. She's like, I probably would have been interested. Um, too. Did he come back for another movie? The black kid? He was in, he was in, he was in part four. Yeah. He no, 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 he was. What I meant, I meant was like someone that survived that just simply didn't show up again. Because Nancy, Nancy came back, but then she got killed. Right. Alice survived four and survived five, and then just wasn't there. And then and I, I know like one of the other scripts of Freddy versus Jason that Alice was supposed to be in it, which would have been interesting. Hmm, that is interesting. Yeah, I guess yeah, technically like, um, you could say the same about Tommy Jarvis because he survived all three and never came back. But it, but I guess the argument you can make about that is like which actor would you since J since Jason wasn't supernatural until. Wait, he he became Supernatural in 6, so I guess he thought he was just dead, because it's not like Freddy that can haunt your dreams from anywhere. Tommy Jarvis would have had to, like, gone back to Crystal Lake to, like, check on him to see if he was still in the lake, where Freddy just starts coming in your nightmares again, I guess. So I guess that's a little bit... That entire scene doesn't... (laughs) That entire opening scene is kind of hard to believe, because if you know how they do it in real, in the real world. When someone is accused of being a serial killer, whether they were tried and convicted or just accused and killed during the investigation, they are not publicly uh, buried. They're buried in a pauper's grave, like a private unmarked grave. So in the real world, nobody would know where Jason Voorhees was buried. They wouldn't have a fucking headstone says Voorhees on it. Like <laughs> that's so hilarious the headstone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah especially like yes. It's, <laughs> and it's not even it's like just right in the middle of any like run of the mill cemetery. Yeah, yeah. Big cemetery. It looked like there was like a dozen bodies in there and Jason's one of them. Okay. Rock on. Yeah, as if they yeah. would bury him at Crystal Lake after he murdered all these people. Yeah. Or screaming. Honestly yeah. that whole thing would have been made more sense if they added that scene that wasn't added to the movie. Which one? Well, the scene that they didn't film with the Jason's father. Oh, with Elias. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, that, that wasn't filmed, so it still doesn't make sense, you know? Oh, well, yeah. All right. Well, we got off topic. <laughs> uh, I mean, Back, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a bad example, though, for a franchise, because we've only really had Tommy. You know, Alice came back to die in the opening scene of part two, so that doesn't really mean shit. And same thing with the you know, the rest of the franchise. You know, it's really it's really just Tommy. There's um, only one person that could stop the franchise, and that's Shane Douglas. <laughs> Dude, there's gonna be about three people that get that reference. <laughs> Me, you and Neil Lemoy. Neil Lemoy, maybe know. Willis. <laughs> I know it for sure. Oh, there you go. Oh, wow. Mike's smarter than I thought it was. 
I mean, I was watching it. Ba- I was, was watching wrestling. wrestling. Back then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's like the prime of my wrestling watching years. Actually, Dave um, Z might get it if he still listens to the show. That's true too. Yep, yep, yep. Probably, yeah, I met that yeah. dude when he was still in an ECW because I, I I went to college in Pittsburgh and um, they used to play ECW used to play Pittsburgh like uh, like four times a year, and I always went to go see it. And yeah, some of the some of the best live wrestling I've ever seen was those old uh, ECW shows. New Jack. They just had no sense of self-preservation. Just, oh, jump off the fucking scaffolding? Yeah, right. why not? Jump off the third level of the arena down to the first level? Hey, what the fuck? I'll do it. New, New Jack's <laughs> is stabbing a dude in the corner. Yeah, the <laughs> staple gun. I was there I was there for New Jack's staple gun attack. One of the many, but I think it was the first one that got like a lot of notoriety. Because people were, like, I don't know if it was true, but people were saying that that wasn't part of the job that he kind of went off script and grabbed that staple gun and just started going off on, uh, Balls Mahoney. Was, was it Balls Mahoney? Yeah. Yeah. That that wasn't well, part of, did you, did you say this was in a Pittsburgh show or at the arena itself? ECW I, I've been to the ECW arena once in Philadelphia, but, um, ECW would come to Pittsburgh four times a year and they always played at the golden dome arena up in Northern Pittsburgh. And I try, and I, I went to see him a couple of times, um, just because at the time ECW was so fucking hardcore and crazy, you know, before all the WWF affiliations. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Those are. Oh yeah. I, 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 I remember, I was going to say, I remember finding ECW in syndication on accident and being like, in like around 95 and being like, what the hell is this? And if I would have been older, because I was only like a mid teenager by then, there's no way I could get myself across the country to like attend it. And they were still small enough that they weren't really touring outside of going up and down the East Coast border yet. But uh, I would have been so hyped to actually go to one of their live shows if I had the chance. Oh, they have like a bunch of the old like pay per views and shit on Peacock. I've been watching them on my like downtime, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah, I have. I still have pretty much every big show from ECW from like late 94 through 98 on VHS. Cause I used to buy off a website called high spots yeah. and it started as a guy dubbing tapes in his college dorm when he was going to college. And eventually his business doing that got so big that, uh, he got a cease and desist by, like different wrestling organizations. So that stopped. But luckily by the time that happened, I pretty much had bought everything I wanted to buy from him. But that's man, the early days of the internet, <laughs> it, it, was, it was crazy. Like wow, we went from it was like, a lot more like cringier, but there was a lot, a lot of cool aspects about it. You know what oh, I'm right? We went, we went way off top. Some horror fans are wrestling fans, I guess. Well, that's but anyway, what actually I was going to say is that you, I, I've never seen, I've never seen a bigger concentration of horror movie t-shirts than when I went to the ECW shows. Yeah. Like, like I, even when I go to metal shows, you'll still see a bunch of horror movie shirts, but I never have I seen as many as at an ECW show. It was pretty amazing. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, in summary, oh, yeah. if anyone's wondering what the uh, burning question topic originally was, I was just basically pose, asking the question based off the Nev Campbell not being in Scream 6 uh, news. Uh, it was just a general conversation on how do we feel legacy characters. Oh, like is this replaced or a Molly Ringwald? Yes! <laughs> oh, Molly. Yeah. I'm okay with that. 
they could. I mean, <laughs> the option is there. But yeah, so I guess, you know, if, if any of the listeners have opinions on legacy characters, their importance to the franchise, if it's different for different franchises, which I imagine it would be for certain people, just depending on how they feel um, when it comes, you know, it's probably going to be a franchise to franchise um, uh, point of view, mm-hmm. uh, depending. So, yeah, I, that, I guess we can close out on that because we've taken it in every direction, including not even having anything to do with the topic. So that's usually the sign that it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even bring up the I table. mean, I get blamed for it, too, because I was fully on board talking oh, about sure. all this stuff. But, I mean, yeah. we didn't even talk about so, some terrible usage of legacy characters like uh, Texas Chainsaw 2022. Anybody? Mick Yaris? Oh, yeah. Like the shit. i going to throw the name. I, I actually think I originally did have that um, as one of the bullet point things to bring yep. up. Like, what do you feel about when they just like kind of haphazardly, casually? Oh yeah, and this character's returning, not the same actress, and they're just going to kind of show up for five minutes to be like, "Hey, I'm here." Mm-hmm. Hellraiser <laughs> did it. The worst. I mean, Ashley Lawrence came back for like part five or six. I don't remember which. She was in the first two, and then she was gone and. Yeah, she came back for like five or six. I can't remember which. Six, I Hell, six. Yeah, the Hellraiser franchise is so maligned that it's hard it's hard for me to remember anything past the first two. I actually don't mind part six, though, because it has Dean Winters in it. You know, that guy who does all those Mayhem commercials. I like all of them in some respect. Like, even the last one, which I can admit was garbage, still had elements to it that I really liked. Yeah. I called it a 90-minute Slipknot video because that's what it looked like to me. Like, the whole opening scene looked like something that you'd hear Slipknot music playing over top of. Even the main, the main like, the, the tax guy or whatever the fuck is uh, the ar- uh, What the hell? The Arbiter. The Arbiter? No, not the Arbiter. The Auditor. The Auditor. Yeah, he looked like fucking awesome. Corey Taylor's mask. Yes. It's the direct, uh, yeah, it was the director of the movie, too. That's what I mean. That's, it felt like a Slipknot video, and I am a Slipknot fan, so uh, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Even though, you know that, though it, it wasn't a very good movie. Did you know that? The guy who played that part was the director of the movie? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I found that out after we reviewed it. Like, it was like yeah. literally a couple of weeks after we reviewed because we did review it on Fresh Cut. Yeah. And it's weird and it's crazy if you look at like his history. He's been working on the Hellraiser franchise since like part three. Damn. And doing all the makeup effects and shit. Oh, that's cool. Uh, like Darren, uh, what's his name? Darren Liz, Lynn Bowsman in the Saw franchise. Like he always has a hand in one of the franchises, either as a writer, director, or something. Uh, ironically, the fucking uh, the movie that just came out this week, The Black Phone. Scott Derrickson's first movie was Hellraiser 5. Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine. Poor guy. Well, well, a lot of like those later Hellraiser movies were like scripts that were on the table like, hey, we got to keep the rights. Yeah. Let's just make like, this a Hellraiser movie. Okay. So I could, and bring some hot women so I could fuck them. Harvey saying the Bob Weinstein. Oh, God. Fat-ass Harvey. <laughs> Right, well, at the end of that topic, Harvey Weinstein kills every topic. Yeah, let's yeah I don't know where to go about from Kylie Minogue and Molly Ringwald. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I think we should. So uh, we're going to take a break and make it brief. And we will be right back with uh, Derek. What movies? Oh, we're doing two posts. 
2000 slasher movies that I remember watching, and I just wanted to revisit them because it's been a while, especially with the later movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do Cut from 2000 and Drive Through from 2007. You know, just some posts. Uh, I chose, like, an older one and, like, a later day one to give the difference of the time periods they came out in. But, uh, yeah. So we can talking about those. Sweet. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. It began as a class project. We have to do a graduation film, right? What better project than to finish that film? To resurrect an old film from oblivion. That movie was a nightmare. So what you're saying is there's some sort of a curse in this film. Now, they've made an unexpected discovery of a mysterious legend. Creepier than Friday the 13th. More blood and guts than Texas Chainsaw. That should never. Who wants to make a mainstream slasher movie? See the light of day. Don't go playing with nightmares. And said this before, but I've always found you very attractive. What would you like to order today? Do you want something meaty? Did someone say pork? Do you want it bloody? Like fries with that? I'm on the scene of yet another grizzly murder. You don't believe anything I've told you. <laughs> it was a seven-foot clown chasing you with a meat cleaver. Why would someone dressed as horny the clown want to hurt your children? <laughs> I am the one person who might be able to stop him. Order up a slice of horror. Drive through. Fast food kills. Get yours on DVD. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show.
Yeah, that's right, folks. We're back. Uh, what you heard was probably a mixture of both the trailers for Cut and Drive Through. Uh, two very different movies, but they do have supernatural hints to them, which is weird, especially with the second movie. I wasn't expecting that, but we'll get into it when we get into that one. But uh, Cut uh, is an Australian film from 2000, directed by Kimball Rendell. Uh, weird cast for this one, since it's an Australian movie. It stars Molly Ringwald. In a, in a very small role, fucking Kylie Minogue. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, the basic shitty plot synopsis on IMDb is a killer begins to stalk the actors of a low-budget horror film, killing them off one by one. It's a little bit more complicated than that when you get later into the movie. But, uh, yeah, it ends up, there is a killer. Uh, there's a history with this killer because when we see the beginning of the movie, it's about a, like a movie that was shut down and these film students want to re, uh, like finish the movie. And, you know, it was like a cursed movie, cursed films, hashtag cursed films, shutter. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, once they start making this movie, the killings start to happen again. And, uh, yeah, life imitates art pretty much. Uh, I'll start with Mike with this one. Mike, was this a first time watch with you? Have you ever seen this? And were you expecting this movie to go in like that weird, crazy, supernatural route at the end? Uh, yeah, this definitely was the first time I've seen this. No, I wasn't expecting it to go where it went, especially with the supernatural elements. My My first thought was what the hell is Molly Ringwald doing in this movie? And I, for for some reason, maybe it's just because the the actual version of the movie I watched, or the cut of the movie, no pun intended, the cut of the movie I watched. Um, I, I didn't look up like the information on it, so I I, I thought it was like uh, older, like maybe like mid nineties. Like I thought it was more like a immediate like post screen thing, maybe. And I mean, two thousand is only four years after it, so maybe it still did have uh, some elements of that going on because I, I did feel there was a little meta, you know, movie within a movie going on. And I was trying to like piece it up with Molly Ringwald's just career in general because obviously this is very post uh, John Hughes era and she was older now so she obviously couldn't look for those type of roles so maybe this was her trying to get back into it and this was like one of the movies offered to her time when when she initially showed up I I thought being the, this was the first time I saw it I thought oh maybe it's one of those like goodwill project things that she's doing where Hey, they managed to snag me for like a couple scenes, easy payday, or I'm just doing it out of the goodwill of like, hey, I'm gonna help out like a lower budget movie. But no, she's actually in it um, for much of the movie. And I have credit to her for whatever reason. And she, yeah, she's prominently featured in this movie. And uh, yeah, the, the supernatural stuff kind of got me by surprise too, because it, I was like, oh, this is going to be you know one of those movies the mystery of like who's doing the killing on the set of a movie i wouldn't and when actually it really wasn't that much of a mystery it was just a straight up kind of slasher of like the, the set is being terrorized and now when we go back to reprise or finish the movie uh the killer is back in supernatural form 
obviously the lower budget, some of the special effects are less than special. But, you know, overall for like the budget and a little, at least it was obscure to me. I didn't know much about this at all. I, I still had fun with it. Slashers tend to have that kind of effect where as long as you make something fun with decent kills, you're going to get some enjoyment out of it. You know, this isn't trying to be like a deep psychological thriller. Uh, it, it's just pretty much a straight up slasher. So for what it was, uh, I, I had a fun time with it. Nice. Venom, was this the first time watch for you? Yes, sir. First time watch for me. In fact, never even heard of this one before we went into it. Um, interesting concept. Um, not to say it's ultra original. We've seen, you know, the movie, the movie within a movie concept before and done a lot better, I might add. Um, I'm pretty much on par with Mike. I mean, this movie isn't something that was like incredibly entertaining. It does have its charm. It does have its entertainment value, especially if you are a fan of like, you know, late eighties, early nineties slashers. I think this one will still speak to you a little bit. Um, I am very disappointed with the lack of kills on screen. Yeah. We get a, we get a lot of off screen kills in this, making it kind of feel like a TV movie, which who knows for all I know, it potentially could have been a TV movie in Aussie. Because that's what it feels like. Um, not to say that it's edited like a TV movie. It still feels like a theatrical film. But just the 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 quality of the acting, um, you know, the, the quality of multiple aspects of the film just kind of lends it to be, it just feels like a television movie. Not necessarily an insult, mind you. But um, yeah, this is this is a movie that I felt had a lot of potential had it actually gone for it. It seems like their intention here was to make a PG-13 movie that might be more, you know, um, palatable for younger audiences and potentially bring in more revenue. But ultimately, as I'm watching this movie, I'm just wondering who the target market for it is. It's like if you're a teenager, you know, even even as a teenager, this movie feels like a lot of been there, done that. Yeah. And uh, but but ultimately, you know, I still had a good time with it. I still had some fun with it. There's some funny moments. I think the projectionist I, I was probably my favorite character in the movie. Just a complete psycho, <laughs> yeah. a, a total uh, like conservative psycho. I thought it was awesome. Um, unfortunately, we don't spend much time with him. That kind of sucks. But um, yeah, all in all, a, a decent little movie. I don't know that it's anything I'll ever return to, but um, you know, it, it definitely left me wanting more as far as more kills, more killer, and definitely more, I, I, I hate to say explanation necessarily, but I, both of the movies this week I have kind of the same problem with, and that's a lack of an explanation of the supernatural element. There is a distinct supernatural element to this movie, and as the movie viewer, you're just expected to accept it. Just, you know, the suspension of disbelief, yeah. accept it, and move on. But, you know, as I am a 50 plus year old horror fan, I like to look deeper into my films. And when I see a movie like this where there's a distinct supernatural element and then we get no explanation, it's just, oh, that's how it is. You know, it's it's, it's not ultra satisfying. But I will say I did like the mask. I love the weapon. 
the weapon that this killer uses, I think, is really cool. The combination yeah. shears with like a like a almost like a dagger or you know t- or a bayonet type thing at the end of the shears. I thought that was really cool. It looks menacing. It's scary. I mean, when the killer is standing in front of you, opening it and closing it, um, that's distinctly menacing, especially in the first scene with Kylie Minogue. Um, I will say the killer kind of loses his steam as the movie goes along. Once we start realizing who this killer is and, you know, what connection they have to the original production of the film within a film, I I think it was called hot blooded, right? Hot blooded was the name of the movie that they were trying to finish. Um, So, like I said, the, the, the movie, it's one of those, I mean, you called it a cheesy slasher earlier during your introduction. It's a perfect description, ultimately. I can't think of a better way to describe this movie. It's a cheesy slasher. Some people are going to like it more than others. Nobody's going to write home about it. You know, it's, it's not going to be anybody's favorite horror movie necessarily. But I can see a lot of people having a warm spot for this one, you know. Um, as I've said already, it has its charm and it wasn't a drag to watch. You know, it's only an hour and 23 minutes long. It's a quick watch. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, you know, a, a decent little killer. I just would have liked to have seen more both about the killer and even more with the killer in modern times. Like, you know, I, I just feel like we didn't even just get enough of them in general. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately not a terrible movie, not by any stretch. Just, you know, it, it's a cheesy slasher. You, you get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I actually really like the mask of the killer too. What loses me with this one is when he t- the mask is off and he looks like like a member of the Raisinets. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> but you know, I do like the aspect of how they actually take the killer down in this movie. It's actually yeah. interesting. Very much. It, it kind of reminds me of like a something. Similar to this would be like Hellraiser 2 with Frank in the picture where, you know, you burn the picture and Frank loses his image. And this is kind of the same thing. He's coming alive because of the film. Yeah, this is very much a take on, you know, the portrait of Dorian Gray. You know, the the story of the, the man who wouldn't age as long as he kept the picture. And and the, the the portrait would age for him. I mean, this is kind of almost the same thing. It's just it's with a film instead of a portrait. So yeah. yeah. So I do like that aspect of it. It's kind of mm-hmm. a cool little twist for like uh, like these kind of movies during this time period. You know, we weren't seeing it. It's mostly like, oh, it was my best friend's sister who was the killer. It it was my the last big killer's mother. You know, it would be that would have been like the twist in these type of movies during this time period, you know, I, I did like that. They tried to go a little around. It could have been explained a little bit better. I do agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. The lack, the lack of kills does hurt this one. I would like, like to have seen, kills. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more hesitation from Molly Ringwald too. Like, or Molly Ringwald. off character. so bitchy. Well, that part of the performance I love. I, I've met Molly Ringwald. She's an absolute sweetheart. She is not at all like the person in this movie. But it's fucking terrifying to see how good she is at it. Like, she is such a good cunt that you would actually believe that she is one in real life. It's so amazing. Even though, you know, most of us know she's not like that in real life. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that part of the performance, absolutely. But yeah. Um, I, I agree with you on the final, you know, the finale of the movie, like how they killed him. 
I, I really liked that. I thought that was a cool original concept. I just would have liked to have seen, even even if you don't necessarily explain how the killer is in the situation that he's in, but explain to me how it started. Like, that's the thing that gets me. Because yeah. we get the cold open where we see that the guy who actually plays the killer in Hot-Blooded ends up snapping and killing Kylie Minogue. And yeah. that I don't need an explanation for. That, you know, it's it's right there on the screen. One person disliking another to the point of murder. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. My question is, how did he first come back? Like, th- there's a story there to be told that we didn't get. Now, I don't know if the writers just didn't think that the audience would care enough, or maybe they weren't good enough writers to be able to write a, a compelling backstory to why why or how this killer keeps coming back. Well, we know how. It's just really the why. Like, why why did this yeah. start happening, and why does it continue to happen? So, um, a little bit of that would have made me enjoy the movie a little bit more. You know, I, I've said it before. I like a little ambiguity in my films, but just a little. This one has a lot. This this one is almost too much. Like they they we get we we get the quote unquote human backstory of the killer but we don't get the supernatural backstory of the killer. And that's what I think the audience wanted to see. So, you know, it's a minor gripe. Ultimately, I I don't know how much more enjoyment I would have gotten out of the movie had they explained the things I wanted explained, but you know, it's still a pretty fun movie with some pretty attractive actresses in it too. And and Hey, there's a couple of good looking fellas too. So there's something for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. And how yeah, old is Molly? I, I agree with She's got to be like late thirties, right? Maybe old. Kylie Minogue. Who Kylie Minogue? Well, either one of them, Kylie or Molly. Like, aren't they like at least late thirties at this point? Two thousand, maybe. Uh yeah, she's got to be close because sixty-eight was when she was born. Oh yeah, so she's thirty. Um, so she's thirty-two in two thousand. Okay, 32 is not as old as I thought. So so she looks her age then. I thought she was older and looked really good for her age. But, I mean, not to say she doesn't look good. Don't get me wrong. But she, she's, she's actually born up she, here. What's that? Fun fact that fun fact that no one would need to care about. She was actually born, like, in my area. Oh, uh, Sac California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> technically, it's a suburb of Sac called Roseville, but Sacramento for anyone that's not from here, yeah. And if you were curious, Michael, because you you uh, you questioned it earlier, uh, Molly Ringwald. This is actually her second horror movie. She was also in a 1997 horror film called Office Killer. Oh yeah, yeah, with was Carol that the one Kane. Office Killer, because wasn't she? I mean, I don't know if that's the one. Because is that that thriller where she like actually like went topless in? Is that the Maybe. one? Maybe. Because she was definitely... Because they made like a big deal about that. Because I think like during her big run of movies, like she never did nudity. And then they're like, oh, Molly Ringwald's nude in this. But yeah, yeah, I mean, she had a good stretch. And I, but do you think that she just got typecast? So like she struggled in the second half of her career trying to find roles? Because everyone was like... Well, we know the type of character you play, and that's not this movie. It's funny. We just spent, you know, 20 minutes on a tirade about the Scream movies, and do you guys know who the original choice for Sydney was? 
Molly Ringwald. Well, now Molly fucking Ringwald. <laughs> See, and that's funny oh. too because we we talk about like like Mike making the comment of oh it's so great that she did this movie, and. Mike was talk, even talking about the potential popularity of Scream. I would venture to guess that she did this movie because she missed out on Scream. She missed out on the, you know, mega big horror blockbuster that would have brought her back into, you know, back from obscurity. As a po- but, but then, you know, she missed out on the Scream boat. And she actually declined Scream, too. It's not like she didn't get the role. She was the number one option uh, that uh, Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven wanted for Sydney, and she turned it down. And I just read literally today or yesterday, I just read why she turned it down, and I forgot already. Um, I was it wasn't say, about I'm being interested in why. Yeah, I, damn it. I can't remember why, but she was absolutely – I think it was a YouTube video that I watched about Sydney Prescott. And they were talking about all the different people that have tried out, like Melissa Joan Hart, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She tried out for Nev Campbell's role for, for Sydney. Imagine. So, <laughs> imagine, exactly. Sabrina Molly Ringwald, I can see, because, I mean, I don't know. Molly, Molly, oh, that was the reason, right. Because Molly Ringwald was 27 years old when Scream was shot, and she said yeah, she didn't want to play any more high school students. That's what it was. Yeah. It wasn't I just that it looked was it up. Movie. She just didn't want to be typecast as a high school student, <laughs> which is so yeah, dumb. I can understand. I, I can understand. Well, I guess in hindsight, there was no way to know Scream would be such a blockbuster, even though Wes, like, I guess Wes, Wes Craven, Craven being attached would give you, yeah, yeah, Wes Craven being attached would be the big indication that maybe you should do it. But maybe she just wasn't thinking uh, I don't about, know that, about that. She either. thought, hey, I'm in my late 20s. If I go and rainbow. play a teenager again, I'll never escape it. That's probably her. Because there there's a six-year difference between her and Nev. I looked up their birth dates. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Nev Campbell was at least, you know, a significant amount of years younger to make sense to play a teenager. Exactly. Yep. Well, I, I also don't know about that either, Mike, because it's Wes Craven. He did do Surfer and a Rainbow. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was after. Was that after Scream? No, that was before Scream. No, no that was yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Shocker. Oh, Shocker, don't remind me about Shocker, for God's sake. Deadly Friend, People Under the Stairs, that era. I kind of like Deadly Craven. Friend. I mean, I didn't love it, but I kind of liked it, if I remember. I like it because it's so Deadly weird. Friend's, like, very cornball, but it's still fun. Like, yeah. I there's a lot of fun I, stuff. In I love BB. 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 We should review Chris that C. one. Swanson's first movie, Maybe. I think. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And Ramsey too. <laughs> oh yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> she's awesome at everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. All right, great. You guys ready to talk about Horny the Clown? Yeah, let's get the horny. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, even oh, Ben. I remember when you off air when Mike was away when you said. Are they glad you didn't they didn't make a pun with a certain cameo in this movie? Yes, sir. You don't have to worry because the synopsis of Drive Through does that for you. Oh, really? I didn't read it. <laughs> All right. Horror gets supersized ah. when Horny the Clown, the demonic mascot of Helleberger, starts slashing Orange County teenagers with meat cleaver from hell. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll go first on this one. This is a movie I 
used to watch all the time when I was younger on FearNet. Do you guys remember FearNet? Yes. Yeah, this oh, yeah. was on there. And, you know, if there was nothing, like, new or on, I'd just throw, like, one of the shitty, like, movies on there. And this is one of them. And I haven't seen this movie in years. And, boy, I forgot a lot about this movie. I forgot there was two wiggers in the beginning. <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, you know, I forgot the soundtrack's fucking awful. That's the one thing that I'll say. The soundtrack to this movie's fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. But you know, I kind of like Horny the Clown. You know, he's not original. A lot of his puns have been used, and oh, pretty much the this movie's uses a lot of like tropes. Like, ironically, I actually haven't seen a few of the movies that this movie uses the tropes of. Mm-hmm. So like, like you know, like the ending, it's happy birthday to me with the birthday party. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, the moms and the friends did something bad a long time ago. You know, I, you know, it's, you know, stuff like that where it's very tropey, this film. But man, I love when the fucking head splits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, there's some good kills in this movie, unlike the other one, that kind of make up for all the shittiness of the characters and the music. It keeps me interested. And, you know, uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) this actually has a fun use of a cameo, which I wasn't expecting. And I actually like the cameo in the movie. Uh, I'll go to Venom this time. Venom, was this a first-time watch for you? Yes, sir. Once again, first time watch. This one I had heard of. I remember seeing the poster and thinking, eh, it looks like a you know another clown horror movie. So I you know I I, I was never really driven to see it you know uh, unless I needed to see it for a show. But yeah, so first time watch for me. Really, really liked Horny. I I, I thought his design was cool. I I thought that the the fact that they used his voice as one of those drive through. Um, speakers that they yeah. use to drive through speakers. Is, I thought that was clever as shit. I, I like that a lot. Cause I, cause that's menacing. I mean, it's one thing to hear like a high pitched screechy clown voice, but to actually, cause it almost reminds me of the black phone. <laughs> it, yeah. uh, you know, it, for those who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about for those who haven't, I'm not going to explain it here, but just that voice that sounds like it's coming over a loudspeaker or a telephone or something just for some reason comes off as slightly more menacing to me. Like they're not actually there, but they're standing right there in front of you. It's got, it's got a weird sense of scope to it. Um, So yeah, horny, I thought was great. There's some really cool kills here. I mean, we get a nice face peel um, very early on, you know, uh, but yeah, this band, um, this music is awful. Uh, I just, wow. That that band playing at the beginning, Mike made a joke about that it was the Hellbender band. Like like, um, in one of our private chats, Mike made a joke that is this the Hellbender band? And I'm like, just the Hellbender band blows this band away. Holy shit! That yeah, this this thing was awful. Luckily, you know, we don't have to hear them playing throughout the entire movie like we do with Hellbender. But you know, I, I did say that the Hellbender music did get better as the movie went along. This one does not, unfortunately. It starts bad and it stays bad. That's going to be one of the weakest points of this movie because there are some pretty cool kills in this. I like that the name of the town is Blanca Carne. White meat. Yeah. <laughs> that is fucking awesome. <laughs> that's 
town called White Meat. Oh my God. That was, I just laughed my ass off when I saw that. And it was nice. I'm also a big fan of The Office. So to actually see a character from The Office play the mom in this movie, I thought was pretty cool. A mom who actually had a pretty good plot point because she's kind of the catalyst of everything that's going on. You know, once we get the reveal of why Horny is doing all this, um, you know, her part, her role in it is very large. So and, and I've always liked that actress. I can't name the actress's name, but I, I like that actress. For oh, Laura Harden. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, great, great looking actress, plays a bitch, plays a really, really good bitch. This is the first time I actually saw her play a somewhat quote unquote normal character. You know, she's just a mom, fairly even keel. Yeah, she has a dark secret, but that doesn't really come into play until the end of the movie. Um, So, yeah, like I said, between the coolness of the killer, um, another cool weapon. So that's two movies in a row with a really cool weapon. I I love Horny's Blade in this one. I thought that was really great. Um, Like I said, some great kills, some kills that could have been better. Um, Someone actually gets cut in half in this movie. And I feel like they had the right shot, but then they lost it. Um, Because it's like they had to have, you know, you have to have that shot when you cut someone in half where the top half of the body slides off the bottom half of the body. But I think that they missed a major opportunity with this because what they should have done, in my opinion, plus it would have helped save some special effects budget too, is after Horny took the swing to cut that person in half, and then he turns around to look at the camera while still blocking um, the, the person that he just killed. In the movie, Horny steps to the right. He takes one step to the right to show the person still in one piece, and then the top half kind of slides off, which, you know, it's obviously CG. Whereas I thought what they should have done was Horny should have taken the swipe and then turned around and not moved. And then what we could have seen is just the top half of the body kind of falling to the side behind um, Horny. And then that would eliminate the need for CG, and, you know, the, the shitty blue screen or whatever they had to use. And yeah. I feel like it would have been a more compelling shot because it, it ends up getting played kind of silly. It, like, you know, when he first swipes, it's awesome. But then when he moves out of the way and you see the body split into two pieces, it becomes hokey. And it's like, ah, if they if they would have gone with the more hidden shot, I, I just feel like it would have kept the seriousness of the scene at a high level rather than going for the campiness of it. Um, I, 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 Morgan Spurlock wasn't terrible. I mean, you know, luckily it was a quick cameo, but you know, the fact that the guy who did supersize me is now playing a fast food manager. I I thought that was pretty cool. But you know, when I first saw him in the credits, I cringed because I thought we were going to get a supersize me joke at some point in the movie, especially once I saw that he was the fast food restaurant manager. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, we're going to get a super size me joke. And we didn't. And I love that. Like Derek said, we got it in the synopsis, not actually in the film. So credit to the film for that one. The, uh, and then one question I have is, uh, does Sean Whalen have bad teeth in every movie he's in? <laughs> Almost every movie that I could name off the top of my head with Sean Whalen in it, he's got shitty teeth. And I'm and I he know takes, he yeah, takes the same prop teeth from movie to movie. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, his teeth from people under the stairs were really atrocious. 
But then there was another movie that he did more recently, I can't fucking remember, where he had bad teeth again, and it wasn't nearly as bad as People Under the Stairs. <laughs> but yeah, I even looked through his IMDb, and I'm like, yep, bad teeth, bad teeth, bad teeth. Like, every fifth role is somebody with bad teeth. I'm like, why does he keep playing people with bad teeth? Is he just good at it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember if his teeth were bad in Python. Ah, Python, I don't remember, yeah. It's been so... I've only yeah. seen that one once. Yeah, there's so many fucking people in that movie, too. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Hey, did you notice that there's somebody in this movie dressed as Michael Myers? Was yes. That okay, that wasn't just me. Okay, I'm like, is that motherfucker wearing Michael's jumpsuit? <laughs> I, I, I guess it uh, is. Holy yeah. shit. Um, I thought the microwave kill was a great idea that just ended up looking bad in execution like that that's the the biggest problem with drive through is going to be it's poor cgi i think because i like the story um you know it's not a a foolproof story by any stretch it's not like expertly written or anything but i mean for an early 2000 slasher it's decent it's got a supernatural element to it once again doesn't really get much of an explanation we get an explanation as to who horny the horny the clown is and why he's doing the things he's doing but we don't really get an explanation of the supernatural element of how, you know, he's here after, you know, we thought he was gone, blah, 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 blah. So um, that's really going to be my biggest complaint of the two movies is just the lack of explanation, a little bit too much ambiguity for me. But yeah. ultimately, I had a lot better time with drive through. I liked horny. I liked the kills. I liked the blood. Um, not too many of the characters in the film bothered me. The stupid white kids who thought they were black kids at the beginning, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do about those guys? And then Give you know, them a nickel plate. Oh. <laughs> and then just all the terrible decision making throughout the movie, you know, drinking and wielding guns. You know, that's always a winning combination, right? <laughs> it's like his ass. <laughs> it's just awful. Uh, yeah, but characters constantly splitting up in this movie, even commenting on it. Like, should we split up? Maybe we should stay together. No, no, no. We'll, we'll cover more ground if we split up. Yeah, whatever. Um, uh, there are a few. Oh, and that's uh, the last thing I'm going to complain about, at least for now, is the green screen. Why the fuck did they use green screen during that final scene? It made no sense. They were actually using the background of the actual restaurant they were in, but for some reason there were a couple of close-ups of Horny where it was um, a green screen restaurant behind it. Obviously, that could have been like a pickup shot that was done later, but it's like, why even bother? It was such a meaningless shot. It it just bothered me. It's like, you know, when, when filmmakers use techniques that are pretty much frivolous or add nothing to the movie, I always question why they used it. And yeah. if you watch this scene, it's only the one scene at the end when Horny has somebody tied to a chair and um, and then they show close ups of Horny. When you look at the close ups, the background is green screened in, even though they're just in a regular fast food restaurant, like nothing special. There's no fire in the background or anything. So, again, some weird filmmaking choices, but ultimately a fun movie, a little bit more fun than cut. Um, this is one that I may see myself coming back to. Maybe if I ever do like a, uh, a, cl- a killer clown episode, I could definitely see myself going back to horny the clown. But um, so yeah, overall I had a more fun time with this one. I, I think it's more obvious. Most people are going to have more fun with this one because of the nature of horny and you know, everything else. And the fact that we actually get on screen kills. So 
yeah, I had a good time with Drive Through. Yay! Michael, was this the first time I watched for you? Oh, it is. But I'm like, when you have a killer clown involved, not necessarily from outer space, doesn't yeah. hurt, but um, killer clowns are usually going to be a fun time. Um, and in this case, it, it was pretty fun. I mean, this clown, uh, his his head or face or mask or whatever kind of looked like a combination. It looked somewhat uh, killer clownish a little, almost like a more uh, evil looking uh killer clown mask maybe made on like a budget you know but um man it's like i i i just feel i was kind of uh surprised to see uh meester in this latent meester because she was like during this time this was what 2007 i think yeah 2004 gossip girl right yeah, it seemed like she was, like, one of those actresses that was on the verge of being, like, an it girl, like, a next big thing, but then it kind of just didn't happen. And there were, well, who's that other one that looks kind of like her? Is, was it, is it Minka Kelly that they kind of look similar? Where she was, like, also supposed to be, like, potentially the next big thing? But yeah. you give me a killer clown movie where the clown's name is Horny the Clown, and I'm probably going to be watching it just out of curiosity at that point, because <laughs> I'm like, that's not an accident. They named him Horny the Clown. Uh, the Marsha Carpenter, or excuse me, Melora Hardin that plays Marsha Carpenter, I recognize her as uh, the mom from The Hot Chick, if you remember that Rob Schneider movie. Oh, gosh. She was... <laughs> she was Rachel McAdams. So Rachel McAdams was in that movie, and she was her mom. And because I was like, I was like, she looks so familiar. I was like, where am I seeing? Because you know, she's older than the rest of the cast, at least just by appearance. So I was like, what could she have been in? And yeah, the hot chick, which came out in two thousand two. So unfortunately, I guess her career was like on the downward trajectory. <laughs> well, hey, she got the but, office. She was on the office for its entire run, so that's a success. Yeah, but I yeah. knew her as Jan from the office, and uh, instantly, like literally, the second she was on screen, I'm like, it's Jan, yay! <laughs> yeah, Sean Whalen's another guy that like it, it's weird when you recognize people from some like bigger movies and they show up and stuff like that because you never really know. It's like, are they just doing it because it it looked like a fun script to them? Or are they struggling to find other stuff? But yeah, he was he's he's good. I, I think it's like you in a movie like this that's lower budget, a little more under the radar. It always helps bring legitimacy when you have recognizable faces, and it, I think it does help out the movie. Like you have legitimate talent in the movie, where it, 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 with worse circumstances you could have had totally unknowns that don't go on to do anything else or never did anything else before it. But I, I think the cast helps like elevate the material here. And like I said, a killer clown—that's the the clown itself, horny the clown—it's it's pretty decent depiction of like a killer clown out for blood, you know, it, it, I, I think the movie probably hits higher marks than I would have expected it to. I think I, did I already mention it was a first time watch for me? Yep. If yeah. not, it's probably pretty obvious by how I'm <laughs> describing things. Were you but, shocked uh, that more yeah, I, was in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie, I feel it punches above its, uh, its mark. Like how, entertaining it ended up being so much credit to drive through nice. was this one on, yeah. where, where, where did you see this 
Is this the one you? I'm, I'm now starting to blend like our comments on both movies. Are you saying this is the one you threw on Fear Night or the or cut? No, Fear Night. This is the one. Okay, yeah, because this makes sense. Yeah. This seems like something in that era that would be because in the pre-Shutter era, because I know a lot of younger people are probably growing up like with access to Shutter, but before then, like FearNet was like one of the places that would stream movies or at least have movies available. Because I remember always browsing the website just to see what was on there. I believe like Robert England did like a a series on there where he was like something like yeah. mm-hmm. Fear Clinic, right? That was it. And FearNet was always cool. Like not everything on there was good, but just to have some place uh, in the digital world that was like, hey, we're producing horror content, so check back in and find yeah. something. I always had hopes that like they would become like bigger and just keep growing, you know? That's where I like uh, I saw a lot of like the Asian horror movies that gravitated to me was on FearNet. Like I actually picked up a lot of those Asian horror movies that were on there, so I could rewatch them when after it fucking went off because. You know, I saw one missed call there for the first time. Fucking uh, one of the Jew on. I think I saw all the Jew ones on there. Like before that, you know, they they pretty much had a lot of the Lionsgate library because a lot of the movies I noticed that I picked up were Lionsgate that were on even Drive Thru's Lionsgate. So yeah, <laughs> those are good times. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This, this decent decent kills one. too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could live without the birthday party scene at the end because we've seen that in multiple <laughs> yeah. movies. But you know, yeah, 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 I'm sure it's not the last time we'll see it. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I actually didn't see Happy Birthday to Me when I first seen this, but then I seen four other movies before this one came out. Do it, and then I'm like, oh shit, that, that's a. I can see people hating this if they've seen all the other movies that did this already. Yeah, you know. You know, like even like Madhouse from the same year from Happy Birthday and Me did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the ending of this one didn't do a whole lot for me, if I remember. It's been a few weeks since I watched the movie, but I, I yeah, remember, I remember thinking like, if Burningham didn't kill him when he was alive, why is Burningham now work better? Like it does Like now that he's a supernatural monster, why is Burningham effective? as opposed to when he was alive and, uh, you know, uh, you know, slightly mentally challenged and that didn't kill him. So I, I don't know, you know, there's a lot well, of suspension and ultimately, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know how spoilery. Well, well, you want to well, get well, well, technically the, the horny, the clown we see at the very end is not the original horny, the clown. I don't think. Right, right, right. Either. No, I the, the, he, yeah. he killed the original horny or something. Something yeah. I I because I have it written down here in my notes, but even in even my notes don't make sense. So yeah, so, this movie definitely has a lot to be desired, but ultimately it is a fun little little slasher. I I, I do enjoy it. You know, good good yeah. original kills, a good killer. Um, you know, decent characters. You know, they, you, you get your normal bunch of hateable characters, but you get a couple of likable ones too. Just like you know, the standard horror, um, you know, uh, cast. So yeah, overall, I had a good time with this one. Even though story-wise, this one left me wanting even more than Cut did. Yeah, I still had a better time with this one. I'd say. Honestly, I would like a sequel to this one that would explain a lot more. Yes, I, I would. I would actually love a sequel. Give me like a really 
hardcore sequel, especially because it's like so many years, we're, we're 15 years removed from this movie. That's a good time to do a sequel um, or, or a reboot, whatever, if you want to just retell the story from the beginning. But yeah, this is there's potential for a franchise with Horny the Clown. It's just he's got to get he's his one liners need to be a little bit less hokey and, you know, a little bit more like menacing or cryptic or something. Yeah. Um, but still entertaining. Still very entertaining. <laughs> oh, I bet, I, bet, I bet you didn't like that shining pun he made. <laughs> that was interesting. I mean, especially because on Fresh Cuts just a week ago. We reviewed a movie that is basically a shining ripoff, but it's just it's one of the worst movies I've seen this year. <laughs> so to actually see a shining reference in this one and one that I kind of agreed with, I'm like, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> you know? I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm just gonna be dead. Right the fuck in. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I liked it. Yes. Well, I'm glad you liked that one. Yeah. Yeah, it has some of the stuff hasn't aged well in it, but I still had fun with it. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, these are the kind of movies that if you saw them when they were new and you were young, they definitely leave an impression. You know? Yeah. For me, it's stuff like Night of the Living Dead and um, a, a lot of like the uh, 70s, you know, mid to late 70s horror. That was the stuff that was the most impressionable on me. But if I mean, if you're if you're if you were born in the 90s and, you know, the early the, the early 2000s is where you like discovered your horror love, then, yeah. I would imagine you would look back at the, these movies much more fondly. You know, we're watching them for the first time in 2022, trying to be as objective as possible. But um, obviously, if we would have seen it, this is a movie that if I would have seen new and I was younger when it came out, because I was already what, 2007? Jesus, I was 30s? already fucking. Yeah, I was already like, yeah, I was already 35 almost. Jesus, fuck, I was old. So, yeah. You're my so age. I, <laughs> but if I was in my 20s when this movie first came out, I probably would have liked it a lot, you know, and I probably would have had that attachment to it over the years. So I, I, I can see the love. I can see where the love comes from, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also the era, like a different era where, I mean, I, I guess 2007 were coming up to the end of like that uh, initial Internet time. But because now there's just so much stuff available readily available that movies like this probably get lost in the shuffle a lot more but back then like discovering something like this uh you know as decent and on a, on a streaming platform or just a digital platform it was probably a bigger deal and it probably was more likely that it'd get featured prominently right uh, as to where like let's say this drop like this was made in 2022 dropped on netflix among like 500 other similar movies with similar budgets and it's all you have to scroll through 10 pages to get to mm-hmm. it, it would, it'd be harder just to even discover it in the first place yeah that's true yeah, that, I mean that is something that like I know I know as we get older, I mean we're all at various ages, the three of us. I mean, but you know, as you get older, you tend to like romanticize aspects of growing up. But I mean, there is some truth to the fact that like having less choices to just find media um, outside of going to the theater or the rental store. Like a lot of times it was for me, it was like, Hey, whatever the hell HBO or Cinemax or Showtime decides to play. If not that AMC or FX or either Turner classic movies or something like 
what I what what they could license cheaply was basically what I had access to. And at midnight on a Thursday or a Saturday or something, if a movie like Drive Through is on there, it's probably what I'm watching. As yeah. opposed to now, where it's like there's more services than I can count. There's so many movies out there that I scroll by that like I just don't have the time to watch. So something like this might entirely get missed if it if it comes out now. Yeah, that's true too. Moral of the story is watch it, right? I think we're all saying, hey, check it out. Yeah, it's yeah, a check it out. Movie. Recommend drive through. Yeah, watch cut if you have extra time. But yeah, recommend drive. If you're a Melly Ringwald fan, watch cut. Yes. Yeah, is, I, I'm a, really I am a Molly like, Ringwald fan, and I barely could recommend Cut even to a Ringwald fan. I'm kind of curious. Not, I'm kind of curious I, I to check out even, Office Killer. Yeah, I think Cut there is. The fact that she is in it, though, I will say kind of, like, right when I discovered that, it, it gave, like, a initial fascination with it because... I looked up when it was or when it was made, and it's obviously a big departure uh, year-wise from like when she was widely known at, for being in the Brat Pack. And it's like, okay, after all these years, and you see probably like this gap in her work. Not that she wasn't doing anything, but just not very prominent stuff. And it's like, okay, now she's just in this Australian lesser-known <laughs> horror movie. So right then and there, I was kind of fascinated. Now, of course, that could be just an age thing because at least me and Venom were old enough to like watch her Brat Pack stuff like when it was coming out probably more Venom so than me but um, you know we legitimately knew her as one thing just because of how she was typecast and it's like wait a minute what is she doing in this movie well now that we know she missed out on Scream I think that kind of explains why she took this movie oh (laughs) man I'm kind of curious to check out this office killer movie though I am too. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna look for it myself. Uh, I'm gonna rent this. Yeah, if, it, if it's the one I'm thinking about, because I've got to admit, I look. Oh, it's got Janine a powerhouse. Triplehorn. Yeah, Carol Kane, Molly Ringwald, and Janine Triplehorn. That's a. Right. They have a fucking lesbian orgy together. Because <laughs> I know the one I'm thinking of. She was actually the villain. I'm pretty sure. But, oh, oh, and he's so, got fucking Christopher in it, Michael and Plurioni. There we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Spider from Goodfellas. It's Spider Dance! <laughs> oh, oh, Michael. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, those are my picks. Nice. Cool. All right. Hey, well, at least no one hates me like Mike's picks yet. Speaking of which, is it, is it Mike's turn or is it Venom's turn next? I hope it's mine, but I don't know. Because if it's uh, mine, I already got my movies picked. But I don't remember what we did last episode, if those were. Was that my spring break movies? Yeah. yeah oh, no, it's Mike's. Ruins last time. Oh, no, it's Mike's oh, picks it's now. Mike's picks. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sick next episode. Oh, <laughs> we got summer series. And we have to, we can postpone it for a while, then I'm going to are you saying there's no more room in hell for no more room in hell now? <laughs> there's no more room in hell for Mike's picks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> then my picks shall walk the, world, the earth. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for these movies and episode 46 of No More Room in Hell. But before we get out of here, 
hopefully with all the time that's gone by since our last episode, there's plenty of stuff for our host to plug. So I'll start with you, Venom. What's going on with uh, your podcast and where can people find you? All right. Uh, we'll start off with the No More Room in Hell family. Uh, first off, No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts, episode 10. Will be out very shortly. I am just putting the finishing touches on the edit now, so it should be out as you listen to this episode. The latest episode of Creature Comforts will be out. Uh, on this episode, we look at Gareth Edwards' 2010 uh, film Monsters. This was uh, one of his first full production films. It's the movie that actually got him uh, the directing gig for Legendary's Godzilla in 2014. So if you're wondering what got this director the Godzilla gig, check out our movie. Check out the movie and our review. Should be out, like I said, as you listen to this episode. No More Room in Hell presents Fresh Cuts, of course, our weekly show where we look at the newest releases in the genre. Our last episode, we looked at a film called The Overnight, uh, which was a VOD release. And this week, we actually have a theatrical film that we've all already watched, and that is, of course, Ethan Hawke in The Black Phone. Um, I actually just got out of the theater literally about an hour before we started recording this episode, so it's still very fresh in my head. So we'll be recording that episode of Fresh Cuts tomorrow, and it should be released the next day, so check that out. And then as far as guest spots go for me, I have a guest spot on The Dark Parade once again with Mr. Bo Ransdell. Uh, I get the opportunity to review my favorite universal classic horror film, which is The Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, and I believe that is the latest episode of The Dark Parade to get released. So check that out. And that's about all I got, Mike. Okay, Derek, what do you have for people to check out? Honestly, not much. I haven't really been recording. Just time and stuff lately. It's been getting away, and, you know, actually, ironically enough, we were supposed to record Cinemary Attack the night before this recording. It wasn't me this time. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad it wasn't me this time. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, we should be back soon. We, we might be just going to think of a new show to do because we waited so long to do these fucking movies, and I'm like, I can't watch these again. They're all subtitled. <laughs> you know, well, I can watch them again, but not in this time span, you know what I mean? But anyways, that's beside the point. We'll be back soon with a new show. I'm not sure we're going to be covering yet. We're going to talk about that. But uh, all I have really is Monsters, which, yeah, I actually made a pun earlier in this show about that movie. So listen to find out more about that. And so many tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> Luminescence of love. But, uh, uh, and also, I actually do have an episode of the Dark Parade that should be out, uh, where me and Bo talked about the Invisible Man, the original Universal Monster movie, uh-huh. with the Mr. Claude Rains. And, the, and the also the only Universal Monster with a high body count. Yeah, very high because of that damn train accident. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, that's it. Okay. Yeah. As as far as me, I don't really got nothing besides fresh cuts coming out weekly, 
And this show, um, I will say I am working on uh, a little sidecast. <laughs> nope, no time for that amount of TV anymore. But um, it's going to be under the No More Room in Hell banner. I just don't want to say too much about it. Evil episodes yet. presents the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't where be a bad talk, idea. Where you just I'm review sure. TV movies. Oh shit! Hey, that's a decent idea, actually. Yeah, that that's actually you know. Stop giving Mike ideas. We're we're he's texting Jamie and Brian right now. Let's get the band back together. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's a little. It's actually a little different than what I've uh, been doing as far as the format of the show. No, I don't even play enough video games. I'd have to like talk about the same game like five episodes in a row because I barely have time to play it. There you yeah. go. You can but. do it. <laughs> yeah, same but, with me. Yeah. I've never been into playing multiple games at once. I want to play one, finish it, move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, that's what keeps me buying. There's so many games coming out that I want, but I had to just tell myself, you need to finish what you have first. Or, you're just gonna have to, or I'm going to end up with a stack of games that I just look at. Um, Coming soon, Lego DC Villains. Nice. Episode one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it should be, it's going to be recording actually pretty soon. So I would say, you know, within the next week or two, the first episode of that will drop. It will be under the No More Room in Hell banner, though. So it'll get the old No More Room in Hell. No More Room in Hell presents on uh, the show. I want to hear all about uh, this when we're off here. <laughs> constantly expanding the uh, the uh, umbrella, I guess. So, I don't know. With that said, yeah, my picks are up next. I have no idea what I'm going to uh, pick. I'm just glad we found that this episode. They were both star Bruce Willis. Uh, recorded. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's going to do it. So, thank you, everybody, for listening. The Lake of Fire is beckoning us, so we will return to it now. Uh, be back as soon as possible with episode 47. But until then, I don't go, know. I, I'm going to go say something more hell, clever than me, Venom. I'm going to go find a Hello Burger because that place had burgers, fries, wings, and like tacos in the same place. That's my go to. I just want to try a Monster Hello Burger. It just sounds awesome. I haven't I eaten a wanna... cheeseburger in fucking years because of my, you know, physicalities. Let's just leave it yeah. at that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> when they describe the uh, that burger, I'm like, hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds like a, a cardiac arrest waiting to happen. That's your last like, meal. Are you, on a, are you on a no red meat regimen, period? No, no, just... red meat I can eat all day. It's I, I can't eat any. I, uh, bread is the main thing. I, I avoid cheese and dairy almost completely. Um, and uh, any of the condiments I couldn't do. So, like, I could eat a turkey burger on, like, wheat bread with Plain. no cheese. Yeah, I mean, that's not even a burger, really. So I just don't eat them. <laughs> Damn. I did have an well, awesome uh, grilled chicken taco bowl at Treo's Tacos in uh, Hollywood this weekend, though. That, you, that'll be my you feel alive after? Oh, I felt awesome. Uh, God, I, I felt like I could take on the cartel with a machete. <laughs> you started this talking like Danny Trejo after you ate one. Oh, oh that'd be awesome. <laughs> what, no, what I want is his chest tattoo to appear on my chest as I eat his food. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hell, you even have your own Funko Pop now, don't you? Right? Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I turn the camera on. Where's my camera? <laughs> Alrighty. Well, with that said, we're gonna. I try, I tried to turn so. on the camera and I left. Oh. <laughs> the camera has no chill. Oh, there you are. There you are. Oh wait, let me turn off the filter. If for the listeners, Venom is surrounded by pumpkins in a gate to Gozar's orgy room. There he is, Mr. Venom. Oh yeah, the Mr. Venom Funko Pop. It's hard to see because of the lighting, but yeah, I'm holding a deck of cards and my podcasting headset. I, I <laughs> the, goatee, the goatee is a little bit lighter color than the hair because most of my goatee is silver at this point, but my hair is still jet black. So, so how do they do that? You just send them a picture and they make it? No, no, you do it right there in the store. It's actually like a big old long process where you uh, build a bear, but for Funko Pop. It, it, almost exactly, yeah. It's almost like a build a bear. Like, oh, it, I know what I'm doing when I go to Cali now. Uh, you can do it in Cali, I think. There's one in New York, and I think where's the, there's like three Funko stores in the country. Hollywood obviously is the one I go to, but uh, yeah, if I mean I'm a fanatic. For those who don't know, I'm a gigantic Funko Pop fanatic. I've got I've got multiple large storage bins filled with cataloged um, pops. I've got one, two, three large DVD racks filled with Funko Pops. I I, just, I, I have a problem, folks. I, I am a corporate whore. <laughs> I have a buy well, it Well, it, it doesn't hurt that they're not, like, if you buy them when they're brand new, they're really not that expensive. And they go up in value. That's the great thing. Very few Funko Pops drop in value. Um, you know, I, not that I really have any plan of selling them anytime soon, but if I ever do need the money, I've got tens of thousands of dollars worth of Funko Pops that I could throw on eBay and make a, a you know, a quick bit of money if I need it. But yeah. I've got, I mean, I've got a couple that are worth over a thousand. Uh, I've got one that's over worth two thousand. Um, what else? I think I've got one that's over. My original Godzilla is over twelve hundred. So yeah, I've got some Funko Pops that are worth a lot of money. Do you have the Sharknado one? Is there a Sharknado pop? Yeah, I'll send you a picture. Ah, I, have, yeah, I would love that. That's funny. <laughs> that's one I didn't know about. That's that's pretty cool. Is it actually like a tornado with sharks in it? It has one shark in it with a tornado. Uh, they got to put more sharks in there, but yeah, yeah. Funko pops just, yeah, I have a problem. Like I said, uh, if I actually did the math, I could probably buy a Buick with the amount of money I've spent on Funko pops. <laughs> it's fucking sad. I know. <laughs> He's a beauty. Well, I think it's time to go, Mike. Yeah. Let's get We're just turning into the Funko pop podcast at the end of the show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll be I, that I actually uh, <laughs> there was a period where I was buying a bunch, but ever since working from home, it slowed me down. But I still try to look out for anytime there's like store exclusives, I try to get those because usually once they're gone, they're just yeah. gone. You know, they don't yeah. keep producing them. And they also have exclusives for the actual Funko stores. So check, check like monitor the websites because uh, last month's uh, exclusives were Squid Game. It was all the Squid Game players and guards. And um, you can only buy them at the store, at the Funko store, and you can only buy two of them. Like, they, 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 they expressly limit how many of them. Uh, the limited ones that they had this time were uh, Carnage from uh, the Venom movie. Uh, they had, a, uh, like, a birthday Freddy. You know, Freddy Funko is, like, the, 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 the mascot guy. He was the original Funko Pop. 
um, every year, every year they put out like different ones of that character of Freddie Funko. So yeah, Mike, if you're ever looking, just uh, keep an eye on the Funko Hollywood website. And if there's ever an exclusive that you want, just let me know. I'll grab it for you. Same thing for you, Derek. Nice. And why not? Same thing for the listeners. If you're still listening, if you're still, if you're still haven't turned this off out of boredom, (laughs) I'll get you a pop too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah my kids just got me the bar the treehouse of horror bart zombie for father's day very nice so. um i just picked up uh vampire burns oh, it, nice. it cost me like 80 bucks it's pricey but it's worth it i love that vampire burns and that was the one that sold out right away hell yeah and if you can get like a complete set of like a treehouse of horror you know it's going to be bucks oh, yeah. in the future yeah, the original two or three Treehouse of Horror series on Pops are all worth a lot of money because it's like, you know, Homer, Kong, uh, Vampire Burns. Um, what do you call it? Um, Willie as Freddy Krueger, you know, a Willie Krueger, I guess. <laughs> yeah, those are the two I have. Homer Burn or Homer, uh, King Kong and uh, Willie Freddy. Yeah, Willie Freddy is worth money. From the original ones, I mean. Yeah, yeah, Willie Freddy is worth money. Cause that's one that I can't fuck. Cause that's one that I'm trying to get. Cause I have one, but it's not in the box. Like, Cause there was a time when I bought these, when they first, first came out that I was actually opening them and like, like, like displaying them. And then I realized, Oh shit, these things go up in value. I think I'll stop opening them. <laughs> Are we actually right. recording? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even close up the show. <laughs> it's our great. final, final segment. Hey, a lot of people collect Funko Pops, so maybe uh, Funko. maybe there there will always be more room in hell for Funko Pops. Oh this hell yeah, dude! Any collectors out there looking to like trade? Hit me up. We're creating a new I'll... segment right now called Funko What? Funko What? Yeah. Funko <laughs> updates. <laughs> what Next the episode, Funko? Next episode, I'll give my Funko update. <laughs> I could probably take ten minutes every episode just going over the Funkos I've bought since the last episode. That's going to be the Funko what? That's how much of a problem I have. <laughs> and luckily, my wife doesn't hate me for it, so that's good. <laughs> In fact, she has like a couple of dozen herself, so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, this will be our our final false warning of ending the episode. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. No one's still here. <laughs> hey, and cheeseburgers. If, if, if if any listeners collect Funko Pops, post some of the pictures of your favorite ones or most like, uh, I <laughs> guess, out of out of rotation ones, limited ones. We're all interested. They're cool. They're cheap. They were cheap. <laughs> They're cheap when I buy them. They're not cheap when I sell them. <laughs> all right. Catch you next time. All right. Adios. Bye.